Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, likes to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? Yeah, it's it's going all right. It's it's pretty cold here. It's not as cold as it is in other places, but it's I, at least I'm not buried in snow like Portland is to the south of me. Uh, how are you? Well, I don't have appendicitis, which was not a given for much of this week. Right? No. So it's, that's it's not good. A given. That was yeah. Uh, that is good. That's yeah. better. And we it's, it sounds so crisp. Sounds so uh, clear. We have new recording setups over here at the Televerse listeners. So yes. let us know uh, how it sounds, if you notice a difference, if you don't. Uh, yeah, I look. I, I, we have new toys, and so we're playing with them. Right. Well, I had a new toy last week, but I didn't know how it worked. <laughs> and so it's, wh- it's why I actually sounded worse than I usually do last week for the Smorgasbordy Part 2 is that I just recorded through my webcam's microphone by accident. Well, you know, it's all good. Yeah. It's all yeah. It sounded lovely. You sounded lovely, as always. Noel. Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, the uh, there's been lots of real-world news, but most of it is depressing. So let's focus on TV news this week. And, uh, okay. Noel, what's the TV news this week? Well, this week, uh, the Television Critics Association press junket has been going for... What has only been a week, but from reports on the ground, it's actually been going for like three months, uh, <laughs> depending on how you feel about overboiled chicken and starbursts, which is all those people subsist on. Um, critics the are becoming critics, restless. Right. It's a television critics association for those who don't know. But if you're listening to this, I feel like you probably, you do probably know by do, now. Yeah. But um, it's a biannual meeting of like press junket where networks and channels uh, roll out new programming for the incoming fall or the incoming spring. And they trot out the stars, the executives to talk about the shows. Uh, The networks occasionally hold executive panels, but this year only CW and Fox, after backing out, decided, oh, no, we're going to have one. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And uh, but a bunch of news comes out of uh, TCAs, and so relevant to you and I uh, is that uh, the CW renewed basically almost everything that's airing right now. So they renewed Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, shocking everyone. Woo! Yeah, but very exciting. Uh, they renewed Jane, and then they renewed all the Arrowverse uh, superhero shows, including Supergirl, which is very uh, which is which is our favorite, I think, right now of the four shows, mm-hmm. uh, and. So those will get got renewed for next year. Uh, and then from FX, other big like news uh, relevant, well, partially relevant to us, is that uh, American Crime Story and Atlanta are both coming back in 2018. And American Crime Story is sticking with their pre-announced, they're doing something with Katrina, yeah. uh, which is something that they announced like even before OJ uh, aired. But they're still doing that. And so I feel like both of those shows waiting until 2018 is good um, for both of them, creatively speaking. That And that FX is giving them that time to do that, I think, is really good. And then for those who care, uh, American, American Horror Story has been renewed for another three seasons. So FX has just become this weird semi-prison state for Ryan Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, free bank for Ryan Murphy as well. 
And so you can get three more seasons of American Horror Story that I will not watch. Um, nothing against them, but it's just a show that's never been for me. Hey, how much of American Horror Story have you watched? Do you dip in and out with that? or? Yeah, I watched Coven. Right. After hearing such strong things, such great things about Asylum, or at least the back half of Asylum. And mm-hmm. uh, really liked, it, it's just the standard Ryan Murphy thing of like, okay, right. this is interesting. You know, there's some stuff that's amazing, some stuff that doesn't work as well. Oh, it's getting better. It's getting better. Falls off a cliff. No ending. Um, which, as I understand it, has been a bit of a track record now for the past couple seasons. So I watched Coven, was very disappointed with how it came together, um, and watched the beginning of Freak Show, but just got away from it and did not did not miss it. So I haven't gone back. I watched a little bit of uh, Hotel uh, and really did not appreciate it. So I ran from the rest of that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hear very interesting things about the, the most recent season. Roanoke. Uh, structure, yeah, Roanoke. Yeah. yeah. Based on its structure. And I know, um, Emily was reviewing, Emily Stevens was reviewing that over at the AV club and she had some really interesting things to say about what it was saying, but, um, no, I'm not going to be checking back in. I just like, yay, Tim Minear is getting a paycheck. <laughs> yay but this is a good thing he's given us so much over the years and immediately had his shows canceled uh so at least i guess there's that i would rather have new to many shows because he's amazing but yeah can't feel bad about a uh, creative that i really respect getting a paycheck even if he's working on a show i don't care for right now so at least there's that yeah. and it's keeping it, it like really pushed sarah paulson into the public eye. Right. So if only for that, Sarah Paulson, Paulson, Jessica Lang, and uh, helped me uh, discover a few other actors uh, and actresses that I really appreciate. So at least it's that. Yeah. Yeah. No, the shows have done a nice job of keeping people, especially women employed that otherwise would kind of, because of how the industry works, would struggle to have as regular a gig as they do on American horror story, which I think is really great. Um, I just don't support it <laughs> by watching it. <laughs> if American Horror Story wants to keep giving Angela Bassett work, I'm going to be very happy about that, even if it's not for right. me. Right. Yes, exactly. So I'd rather them keep getting paychecks than not get any paychecks at all. Yeah. Um, and then the only other big news um, is that uh, Showtime announced a late May premiere date for the Twin Peaks revival, which has been... Uh, something that has existed and not existed and then existed again pretty mm-hmm. consistently over the past like two and a half years, I want to say. Uh, so that's happening. And I'm sort of like, okay. I'm still very much like, okay, guys, if you want to do this, that's fine. But I've, I haven't been excited about this revival at all. Um, so how have you been, how are you feeling about it? And just as a concept, I am more excited about David Lynch Sure. Than I am about more Twin Peaks. I mean, Twin Peaks uh, just is amazing show. I, I think it's really, especially when you look at its context, like in context and what, what right. they were doing and everything and the way that it shaped the progression of, of narrative storytelling on, you know, on television, uh, I think is really particularly really interesting. But um, I, I love the show when it, when it was working, um, but uh, I, I don't really care about going back to it. The way that yeah. I know a lot of people are very, very excited about. Uh, so I don't have that connection to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, David Lynch, I'm very glad that he's doing something in TV. So I look forward to seeing what he brings because, you know, he's David Lynch. So 
Uh, I will always show up for for that, at least for the first few. Who am I kidding? I loved even just him showing up on Louie. Uh, just me, May fangirl heart go squee. So um, you know that he's not like in the show, right? No, but I, he, I'm worried. Yeah, no, I'm not expecting. So <laughs> let's be honest. Hey, he was on the he original. Could be, yeah, he could yeah, return as his character, yeah. as the mostly uh, hard, the hard of hearing character yeah. uh, that he was playing. Um, yeah, the uh, other other news televerse news. We we apparently got we got we heard some from listeners over the past few weeks and I didn't compile their names and I should have. Uh so thank you to uh, everybody who who reached out about the end of the year shows. It was lovely to hear from you all and uh we yeah, I will endeavor. It's one of my things I'm working on this year. I will endeavor to to keep better track of y'all so I can give you shout-outs because I do really appreciate... We do really both... I think I can speak for you on that, Noel, right? We we really appreciate from hear, hearing from listeners. We do, and I mean, like, when I get tweets, I try to reply, and I always appreciate you also looping me in since lots of people don't direct tweets at me because my name's not the handle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that... Yeah, listeners, when you're re- reaching out to the show, that... Please also at Noel. I usually at at him in the replies and everything too, but that way he can he can see it as well. Um, we got a review from David, but David it's, it hasn't shown up for us. So if it's in iTunes, um, if it's not in the U.S. iTunes, let us know because otherwise we won't see it. But um, thank you for leaving a review. Hopefully it'll come Yay. through eventually. <laughs> Yay! We really appreciate it. Um, oh, also for me, very exciting. Uh, I so I commissioned a, a a t-shirt design right after the um after election. the election and I think it's awesome. So if you are a liberally minded person who wants a Harry Potter themed uh yay free speech, yay equal rights kind of shirt, uh I'm selling them on Spreadshirt and the proceeds are all going going to be uh, donated to the ACLU. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, I think it's cool. I'm very excited. It I got is. I got many compliments when I wore it the other day. I had uh, even I had a rather conservative Mormon lady tell me, you know, I don't we don't agree on a lot of politics, but that is very well done. I I would wear that shirt. I would mm-hmm. it's very very respectful. I would wear that. I was like, that's very good. People come together, man. People come together. Mm-hmm. And fun. you're and you're going to the march, right? Oh, with bells on, and okay. uh, with pussy hat on my head. Because I was about my to say, and with knitting and one. with a pink pussy cat hat, right? Yes, yes. I should yeah, okay. clarify. It's a pink hat with with cat ears. People, it's it's right. You know, it's only being uh, being uh, potentially rude in its name, not in its thing. But I was very excited to see they they put together a platform. Um, so to be very clear on what their what the the ideals and the 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 priorities of the march are, um, I'm very excited about the number of buses uh, right. that, that are headed, and it's going to be crazy. That also will likely uh, next week we'll be doing our this week we're doing our our winter preview. Next week we're going to be doing our our resolutions for the year, which is you know everything got kind of got bumped back a week when the smorgasbord uh, got a life of its own. Um, But that will likely affect, it'll be like a little shorter podcast next week, probably because I will be editing (laughs) as quickly as I can, because I certainly will not be editing on Saturday that week. So, um, but yeah, I'm very excited. Are you, are you going to a sister March? 
Uh, no. I actually haven't checked to see if there are any happening uh, in the area. Oh, no. shit. I know. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I should look for it. I imagine that there has to be one in Seattle, so. I would be very surprised if there wasn't. I mean. Right. Or, or even, yeah, like, I, I would be very, because they're all over the place, and everyone, like, I don't expect everyone to be able to go to, or have it make sense to go out to D.C., but, yeah. um, if you are someone who shares some of uh, the my ideology, which I am not quite about that much on the podcast, um, I highly encourage you to uh, at least investigate different uh, the Women's March uh, on Washington, which is going to be on the 21st of January. Um, and there's there are sister marches all over the country um, for people marching in solidarity who are, cannot uh, or, or aren't, just are not able or not interested in, in going to D.C. Um, I've got some family members that are uh, some extended family who are who are going to be marching in Madison. And uh, yeah, check it at, at least do, do some do some research and see what you think, listeners. Uh, and if you're going to be in D.C. and you happen to see me, drop a line because uh, you come over and say hi, because I will be very excited to, to run into people there. Just a few, just a few people, just a few hundred thousand, a hundred and eighty thousand, I think was the last number. I, heard. I, I feel like that's, I feel like that's the number. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. So we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, we've been going on for quite a bit here up, up at the top of the show. Um, so we should get going cause there's, there's a lot of TV to talk about this week and then we have our, our, our winter preview. So, uh, what say, you know, we're going to be recording for another four hours. Just again. obviously that's the only yeah. rational thing to do, <laughs> not trim down the shows, not, you know, d- delete the soliloquies that I'm going to want to go on for a few of these. Um, just, uh, yeah, that four hour show, obviously. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do a little music knoll and come back with our week in comedy. We'll be right back after this. What are the rules? Oh Christ, I'm singing again. What are the rules when you've just turned black and you can't switch back? Well, you gotta go and find out the rules. Oh, oh, oh my! Yeah, yeah. Wow! Holy shit! What have I done? Um, okay, look, this is gonna keep happening. I think. All right, so let's let's figure this out soon. Let's split up. Okay. What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? When you just turn black and you can't switch back, well, you gotta go and find out the rules. I think we're in the whiz. Don't force the whiz thing. That was uh, What Are the Rules uh, from the Always Sunny musical premiere, uh, which I'll be talking about shortly here. So excited. So excited that Always Sunny came back for season 12 uh, or 11, 11 or 12, I think. I think 12. Um, Uh, You would know better than I would, but either of those numbers sound correct. Yeah. Season a bunch, over 10, um, with a musical episode just uh, and that particular one delightful um but before we get to that we're going to kick things off with one day at a time which uh, of course premiered on netflix uh recently we have then i'll talk a bit about uh the mick uh i watched the first three uh the always sunny uh, in philadelphia premiere the gang turns black they also had the gang goes to the water park 
fun, less interesting. I'm going to focus on the musical. Uh, Man Seeking Woman came back for season three. Um, and then we'll talk a bit about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which had its two-parter, The Fugitive. Fresh Off the Boat had How to Be an American. Blackish had a couple episodes, but we're going to focus on Lemons. Speechless also had a couple episodes. We're going to focus on H-E-R Hero. Um, then we'll talk some Sweet Vicious, kind of catch up on that. Um, and uh, we'll... We'll finish off our segment here with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which had, who is Josh's soup fairy? And when do I get to spend time with Josh? Um, so first up is One Day at a Time, which ha- is a reboot, uh, reimagining uh, of the Norman Lear show. Um, he's still on board as an uh, executive producer. This dropped all at once on Netflix, and uh, it's gotten rave reviews. Uh, I got to say, Noel, I watched the first episode, and I was a little, uh, I guess, underwhelmed because I had seen such strong critical reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, like, normally it would have been whelmed, but because of the the press, it, it was underwhelmed. Um, but I went back and watched the rest of it in a day and loved it. So, yes, as you should have. <laughs> I feel like I feel like in people's reviews, they're they're underselling the staginess and and cheesiness of the first episode like i feel like people need to know if you watch the first episode and are like i don't get all the buzzes about the show gets better while still maintaining that core that you get introduced to in the first episode did you have a similar kind of like oh when you watch the first episode or is that just me uh i didn't i i didn't read anything about it going in i saw like the headlines for a bunch of articles and reviews but i didn't read anything uh prior to watching it uh Mm. which i think helped and also i was deeply confused because i was just like i i was just like why is there a show called that named after this norman lear sitcom from the 70s i don't understand what's happening right now (laughs) i'm very confused uh so So, no, I didn't have that, but I'm also one of those very weird people who is just very much of an apologist for anything, any perceived sins of a multicam. And uh, so, like, I recommended the show to someone, and they're just like, that studio audience is, like, really laughing a lot. And I just went, well, you don't know how long they've been there. They could be kind of punch-happy. And you don't know how many takes of this joke that they've watched. And I mean, I, I just keep finding excuses to make sure that people understand that multicams are actually really good. But <laughs> uh, no, so I didn't have any problems with getting into it, really. I think I watched like the first three or four like in a sitting. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I went through it really, really quickly. Yeah, the, for me, there, the, there was some... I had some trouble with that first episode because of the audience uh, and because the timing was a little off with the the thing with the live studio audience is that, that, that timing is so crucial. So if there's like waiting for a laugh line and the big left doesn't come, that can derail it. And there were, for me, it was a little awkward in that first episode. There's a bit too much waiting. And obviously the other thing to keep in mind is with the studio audiences, they've been there for a while and they've also been warmed up by a stand up comedian and they want to be laughing. So they're in a very different headspace than, than we are when we're first watching something. But I mean, how lovely is it to have this show? Like there's so much, I think we could go on about this for the show. I I think we should kind of keep this spoiler light. What do you think? Sure. I think that's fair. Um, and just like highlight a couple of like things from the show or things that aren't spoilery. Like mm-hmm. I could talk about Hole Please pretty much all day because mm-hmm. I think that's easily their best episode. Uh, it's an episode in which Penelope, who's the main character, 
and to give some context, she's a single mom uh, working as a nurse, but she worked as a nurse also in Afghanistan. So she's a veteran. And the entire episode basically takes place in the apartment on the day of a street fair, which we never see uh, because it's it's a multicam and they don't have that kind of a budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, But the entire episode is her waiting on the line with the Veterans Affairs Agency to get approval to go to a chiropractor for her shoulder. And that's pretty much the entire episode, but a lot happens in that episode. But just the fact that there's an episode about the very real reality of being on hold with Veterans Affairs for a day, which is a very real thing that uh, veterans in the United States deal with routinely, uh, if not longer than a day, including having to fax stuff to people at the Veterans Agency. It's it's just really topical, and it speaks to a number of the show's different priorities, because the show has a number of very socially relevant priorities that come out of that Lear tradition, but they've been significantly updated to adjust for the fact that this family is Cuban, and to adjust for being in 2016-2017, and I think that it's just a deeply smart show, it's a deeply heartfelt show, it's also really, really funny in a number of places, like, Rita Moreno is insane. She's just, she is a force of nature, Kate. She's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like in the talk about the show, there's been a lot of emphasis on Norman Lear. And that sensibility is, his sensibility um, is throughout the show um, as far as socially conscious, really yeah. engaged, thoughtful, issue-based storytelling, which is something we've seen really come back into popularity with right. especially the ABC comedies and yes. Carmichael show. Um, yeah. So that is very much on display here. But I think, uh, of course, very important to mention are the actual you know creators and showrunners of this right. specific show. Mike Royce yeah. and Gloria Calderon Kellett, um, who you, I'm sure, are excited to hear, of course, was a writer and producer on iZombie as well. Yeah. Um, and you can see some connections there with the characterizations and, and, and the, the writing for the for the female characters. Um, but um, the for all the characters, not just not just the women, but um, the the enlisted is strong <laughs> in, yeah. in one day at a time. Strong. Yeah. And it was so it was so fun for me to see the that picture uh, that's on that's on the clipboard. It's on Penelope's uh, clipboard of her in uniform with uh, you know some of the people that she served with. Um, it's you see it in the first episode. You see it on her clipboard in the last episode as well. They don't draw any attention to it, but I thought that was a really nice uh, just even just prop set of uh, continuity. Um, but um, yeah, just seeing that was just gave me so many enlisted feels. Um, so instead of seeing, you know, brothers, we're seeing this this nuclear family instead. Uh, but the way that uh, Penelope's status as a veteran strongly uh, flavors the story. It's it, it's part of her life. It's part of who she is. But it it's not the only thing about her. It impacts the way she views the world and how she interacts with people, but it's not just like a solely, the solely defining characteristic of who she is. I think it feels uh, very organic and, and very real. Um, and I also really like the way that they talk about the, you know, the impact that being a veteran has had on her and on the rest of her family, including her husband at the start of the show, she separated from her husband. Um, theoretically, they're getting divorced and he is, 
over in Afghanistan working as a contractor. Um, he's also a veteran. And, and the way that it engages with veteran affairs with, um, with that particular episode is terrific, like you said. Um, but they also introduce a group of other female veterans um, yep. that she interacts with. And she has some friends. Um, there's, there's, that that was really terrific. It comes up when she's going to buy a car. It comes up these different times. Her injury, her shoulder injury, um, flares up from time to time, but is not like, uh, d- again, it's something that defines her. And and I really appreciate the way the show handles that. There are issues of dating. There are issues of sexuality. There are issues of ageism. There's so much that comes up in this show, and it's all you know. Like I read an article that I thought was really a review that I thought was really terrific, talking about how this show depicts families arguing and fighting in really realistic ways and but isn't still coming together and having substantive powerful discussions of religion of belief of and and the kind of things that it would be easy to another on another show to just like dismiss as somebody being kooky or somebody um you know just being stubborn but it it really respects and gives validity to these different opinions and without undercutting the other, you know, I I think the way that they handle all that is terrific. Right. I think that this idea of not undercutting one another is really significant, especially like some of the stuff towards the end Mm -hmm. and which we, we shouldn't get into since I think a lot, this probably flew under the radar for a few folks and it shouldn't have because it's fantastic. Uh, but there is very much like a consistent need even within the family to understand one another and not immediately dismiss people. So to give like a non-spoilery type of discussion is that this conversation about whether or not we're going to church every Sunday mm-hmm. and the whether or not someone believes in God I mean, it's all handled with a really deft hand and in 30 minutes. And I mean, we've talked consistently about like how Steven does, Steven Universe does a lot of stuff in 11 minutes. So doing something, but really deftly and not having a lot of subplots, which is something that sitcoms are, I think, steadily drifting away from is having too many subplots and getting back to single plot episodes, which is a benefit, I think, at least for me. And I think that that is something that happens here is that you just have room to explore all these different ideas really, really carefully, really, really thoughtfully. And I think that just comes through, like like you were saying, with people refusing to dismiss one another's opinions and wanting to make sure that there's an understanding and that this isn't breaking the family apart type of thing. And anything that is going to break the family apart needs to be discussed and remedied right now. Because mm-hmm. we can't let that happen. Because the family's already been fractured in a lot of ways as Cuban immigrants. And there's just a lot of layers to the show that I think it's just, it's really thoughtfully put together. And it's also deeply, deeply funny. Mm-hmm. It has one of the best costume reveals I've yes, seen in quite a while. Oh, so good. Love it so much. Um, yep. It also has a terrific discussion of feminism just throughout yes. um, in yeah. different forms and respect for. And I mean, like, the kids are great, too. I like really like both the yeah. kids. Any show that has um, has a teen discovering the wonder of Buffy is certainly yes. a show that I will appreciate. <laughs> I'm working on a couple of my students. One of my students, uh, her mom has been trying to get her to watch Buffy. And I was like, listen to your mom. Your mom's a smart lady. Come on. Right. And 
but watch the DVDs, everyone. Don't watch the yes. stuff that's streaming in the bad widescreen. Don't do that. Don't do that. But that's yeah, May, watch your mom's watch your mom's DVDs of it because I'm sure she has them. Yes, she does. <laughs> and any mom who's trying to get her kid, her her kid, especially her daughter, but her kid to watch Buffy is doing it right, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I'm getting distracted. Um, one day at the time, thumbs up, two thumbs up from the Televerse. Yes, Noel. Oh, like four thumbs. I'll give it both of my thumbs. Like, I really, really liked this show. Yeah, it's yeah. terrific. You guys should check it out. Um, another new show has been uh, The Mick, which is on Fox. And I watched the first three. They they aired the first two right at the start of the year. And then the, it's on Tuesdays now, I want to say. Um, and that's the most recent episode is The Buffer. This stars Caitlin Olsen from Always Sunny um, as the... Uh, mess of a person who uh, is the the aunt of the rich kids who ends up taking care of them when their parents flee the country to escape uh fraud charges i think it is um so there's a culture clash and you know what if this super irresponsible theoretical person um has to take care of of these spoiled kids um caitlin olsen is terrific she's i think one of the more under uh, appreciated and under-respected comedic actresses out there uh, certainly right now but I mean it has been for 10 years more than 10 years on Always Sunny um, so it's it's terrific to see her get a vehicle and I think this plays to many of her strengths but the, the trouble I'm having with it at three episodes is that I don't care about the kids at all I don't I haven't been impressed with the writing for them and um, I, so far not really with the acting either. I'm hoping that is, you know, something that will continue to improve because um, there are the pieces of a really fun show here. But for me right now, it's just getting overshadowed by how terrific it's always sunny in Philadelphia still is at this point, which is like, you don't expect a show that's this long in the tooth to, to still be relevant and to still be fun. Uh, but, Oh my no, the gang turns black. It's, mm-hmm. it's so good it's 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 really really good i i hope um if it's still up at the fx press site i hope you you give it a shot um but not only is it pop culture savvy not only is it just so informed by who these people are and these these characters are um it, it has of course original music uh, I, th- I want to see Charlie Day compose the music, you know, one of the actors on, and creators and writers of the show. Um, he usually does the music for Always Sunny, and it tends to be terrific. But it, it's it's so incisive in his commentary and its discussion on on privilege and on race and on assumptions. And, uh, and it does all of that while still staying true to these these characters being terrible um the different songs like frank being so excited because he's black and so that opens up a whole new world of vocabulary that he plans to take advantage of uh of course (laughs) there's a whole song about it it's danny devito has a wonderful time with it um yeah it's just like the whole the whole episode is just terrific i I don't want to spoil things for people so if you haven't seen it if you haven't sought it out if you have fx please do go seek out the gang turns black the season premiere of always sunny in philadelphia because i laughed out loud so many times the music is super catchy it's still in my head weeks later and hopefully it's in your it'll be stuck in your head for a while with the music that we led into the segment with um but yeah i just 
I'm so glad that this show is still curious, is still pushing itself, and is still uh, finding new new conversations to have or new takes on conversations they've already had because they've been around for so long. Um, so tip of the hat to the Always Sunny Gang because uh, they made a d- distinct effort to hire um, more people of color and women directors this year on Always Sunny. And, and so to they were a little defensive about not having – prioritize that in the past when they got called out about it but i'm very glad that that's something that they've embraced this year and um uh so even just like with the on on the screen storytelling and the behind the scene priorities uh, i just there's so much to appreciate about always sunny and uh yeah i cannot recommend it enough man seeking woman also came back um which i season three i was surprised when we got a season two i really didn't expect a season three but uh the first two episodes of the season have been really fun they are They've put Josh into a relationship that looks like it'll be at least half the season, if not the whole season, based on how they're kind of pacing things. And I and that's something that I called for in my reviews last year. I wish they would do right, that. Right, I remember. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like they have because there's so much more to explore that you know that they that they can really dive into if they're looking at this portion of the dating world or dating life. If you actually are in a significant relationship you know, for a while with someone that, that brings up different, different questions. So I, I really like, I don't, I apologize. I do not have the name of the new, the new love interest, the actress who plays that role. I do not have, uh, Lucy's the character. I do not have the name of the actor in front of me here, but she's, I think a really strong addition. The chemistry is good. She's very game and very fun there. Uh, so far there's been very little of Mike, uh, Eric Andre, of course, he's always terrific, but I really appreciate them, you know, incorporating uh, the parents more, Robin Duke and uh, Mark McKinney, who are just terrific, of course. Um, they've they found some things for Liz to do, so hopefully they'll get Mike in there as well and a bit more in the mix in the next couple of episodes. But so far, a strong start to, to the season. But then again, Man Seeking Woman is a, a show that I, I pretty much always appreciate for its um, uh, its tongue-in-cheek approach to some familiar storytelling. Um, but I've been talking for a while. I need to take a break. I'm going to have some, I've got, I've got, I'm going old school here. I've got some Capri Sun with me. Wow. Like how many pouches? Oh, I've already had like at least one today. This is at least two. Oh God. So you're just going to like have a sugar. Well, they, they no longer have high high fructose corn syrup. Oh, well that's nice. They've taken that out of their Capri Sun and it's, you know. Do they just have regular corn syrup then? I don't know, but it's they they apparently are trying to rebrand themselves as a healthy alternative. This is not a conversation our listeners care about. What I'm saying is, Noel, uh, let's transition to a show that you can talk about for a little bit. Um, okay. And, and tell us, uh, what did you think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine's two-parter, The Fugitive? Right. So this is, this is kind of a weird two-parter insofar as it served as kind of a de facto mid-season finale since the show's not coming back until the end of April now, uh, as Fox announced at uh, uh, the TCA event uh, this week, to which we all went, no! Because Right, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fun, Kate. I'm not happy about it. Because um, it's, it's, it's a much longer break than we had to wait to get Superstore in the good place back. <laughs> um, so anyway, so this two-parter deals... It deals with uh, Amy and Jake uh, deciding whether or not they're going to move in with one another. And a, a van of fugitives overturns on their prison transport. And so they make a bet, of course, as to whom can catch the most fugitives gets to move in with the other person. The other person and, has to move in with them. Yeah. Right. They get to right. keep their apartment, and, basically. <laughs> right. And I mean, increasingly, it's just like, 
why would anyone want to live with Jake and his towel that <laughs> never gets dry? <laughs> uh, so a lot of this comedy is very, very real. Like, Jake's terrible living situation is just too real. That towel was very, very real. Uh, so I think the first half is really, very funny. I liked a lot of the interplay. I like the fact that Boyle was for once against Jake winning anything because it meant better things for both Jake, but also for him. Cause Amy lives much closer to Boyle <laughs> than mm-hmm. Jake does to Boyle. So it meant he, my best friend would be so much closer to me. I want you to win Amy. And wow, I really sounded like Trulio right just then. <laughs> um, so I, I really appreciated that. The second half is not nearly as funny, and I have kind of, and I think that really what we should talk about in the second half is how it ends, which is kind of bizarrely and kind of weirdly. And Kate's making a face, which is the proper face to make about that ending because it feels very much of one of those type of shocking moments that happen in hour-long police procedurals that you don't see coming but feels very out of place within a sitcom like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm talking about Chelsea Peretti's character getting hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah. And like a to-be-continued, like, I I really enjoyed the runner of, you know, that they had there uh, with with, with them. But um, yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's deeply weird. It comes out of nowhere and it's, Involved in like a group chat dispute that they're having because Boyle's terrible at group chats. Yeah, which is not surprising at all. It's the least surprising thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she gets hit by a bus, and then we get it to be continued, and it it just feels like very NYPD blue to me in a lot of ways in this kind of shocking moment. Like I said, but it feels very out of place um, here with Gina getting hit by a bus, and I'm not quite sure how the show bounces back from this in any way that's funny. Yeah, did like does does she need some time off for another project? So they're gonna put her in the hospital for a while, like, or kill the character off entirely? Oh, she's dead. No, they're not killing her off. Well, maybe Peretti's just ready to do something else. Yeah, but I, I don't mean... think they'd have her get hit like that. That would be a really harsh thing to do to your audience. Yes, I agree. So I don't think they would. I think they would have her, like, get discovered and go off to be a famous choreographer or something, like, ridiculous like that. Or, like, I think that would be much more in keeping. Like, there are things they could do. But, like, I I imagine this is based on other things, other factors. Or just they have some ideas of things they want to do comedically. But um, I'd be very surprised if she's dead even though in reality you'd be dead right you got hit by a new york metro bus yeah going full speed it was not going slow no No. um so i that's gonna be like it's a bit especially because it's not coming back for so long yes that's a very interesting point to like send your 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 show off on but i i i I have a feel like it doesn't feel like they knew they weren't gonna be back for like months and months so um three months (laughs) yeah we'll see what happens but uh yeah that's all i got that's we'll see what happens yeah no 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 it was a fun two-parter though (laughs) right every everyone kate's making like really kind of like side-eye face right now while she drinks her capri sun and that's the correct response that i'm still having and this episode aired like two weeks ago Mm mm-hmm and it, because it aired like on New Year's Day, like it aired yeah. not on Brooklyn Nine-Nine's like regular day. And it's, 
again, the first part of Fugitive, I think, is hilarious. The second part, I think, kind of treads water a little bit. Um, but I also just really love that first part. It's really insanely funny. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and the, I think the way that they resolve the... I, I like that the question isn't, should we move in together? The mm-hmm. question is, no, no, no. They both want to move in right. together. Like, that's already yeah. resolved. So there's no relationship tension, really. It's just yeah. a matter of, like, Jake being stubborn and everyone else being very aware that no one would want... You know, uh, Terry's dealing with his own stuff, uh, let's yes. just say. Otherwise, he would be on Team Amy all the way. Um, yeah, so it was a fun way to go. And I'm knowing that this show's not coming back for a while makes a lot more sense with where they aired this and how. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, all is all will be right with Gina. Um, let's move on to our next three shows, uh, which is going to be which is like our ABC activism uh, tr- our, triad here. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. have Fresh Off the Boat, uh, which had How to Be an American, which is the Jessica gets her citizenship episode, and I thought the way that they use use this episode and the way they incorporated flashbacks and everything to make it very much a story about them, while also really stressing how uh, the importance of uh, at least to these characters of citizenship and of, of cementing their status as Americans. I mean, that's the kind of no one's surprised about my politics. I've not shut up about it. Um, so that I, I, this is the kind of thing that I really appreciate seeing uh, shows like fresh off the boat um, champion, uh, you know, right now I, I, all the time, but especially in our current political climate. So, uh, I, I thought it was funny. I thought it, it played with flashbacks and with our pre-existing knowledge really nicely. And uh, the the I guess the twist of Jessica's past criminal record I thought played played uh, played very nicely and fit with the character. I also thought Zachary Knighton uh, was pretty delightful as the yes. interviewer. What how did you feel about uh, how to be an American? I really really loved the ending and the fact that we get to see the entire pledge vow oath process Mm -hmm. play out and the the pants that we got from the group doing it but then like the steady focus on jessica was just really really great and i really enjoyed and appreciated the fact that that was the tag for the episode and uh constance who just kills it just kills it uh in making sure that Jessica's pride is coming through while not like overselling it basically like Jessica get and through his performance, like how really significant this is for both her, but also for her family and all of this sort of stuff. And it comes through just really perfectly, but the rest of the episode I thought was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like really gel on a lot of like the pre-existing stuff with the flashbacks and the memories and i kept kind of wanting more new stuff as opposed to recontextualization of the older stuff and so while i appreciated like that they use this particular episode in this particular avenue to tell this story i also just didn't find it as entertaining as i was hoping to i think and but i i feel like it didn't matter because i just appreciated the payoff for it a lot more and I think the other thing that I was just like deeply distracted by the fact that we kept cutting back to the kids with the car. Mm-hmm. That was this episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, okay. And I just, I, I, I appreciated that. I thought it was kind of funny in terms of the AARP membership stuff and that no one's blinking at the fact that Emery has an AARP membership. And has not since even, he was two. 
has since he was two, and no one's blinking at this. Even the guy who comes from the tow truck and the AARP people are just like, this is perfectly normal. It's oh, no. a very... Sm- AAA, by the way. AAA, right. Not AARP. Not the American right. Association. But they get the discount through but AARP. They, they but he, he has to show his AARP card to get the discount. <laughs> and no one's, no one's balking at this whatsoever. And... I, I think that's funny, but at the same time, it just felt like a weird distraction from what the main plot really was about. And, but again, it doesn't matter because, like you said, like the sheer message of this is what an immigrant looks like. This is what this kind of a process is. This is how very deeply they dig into things is, I think, way more important. Like the fact that it's just like you have this one thing that happened. This one thing can prevent you from getting citizenship. I think that that's a really significant thing for the show to point out, but not overplay. And I think that the show's activism and its presentation of the process, at least this particular part of the process, I think makes up for any, like, me being like, oh, well, I'm not finding any of this particularly funny or interesting in terms of, like, the storytelling aspect, but I don't care because I think the what's being presented is makes up for that in all sorts of ways. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than you did. It sounds like, but I, I like Jessica's antagonism towards teachers, the reveal that (laughs) she was once a teacher. uh, I thought was really fun. Um, And also her just like, I thought the, the, Oh no, all white people look the same to her. And so it was just a fun way to keep the rest of the cast involved. Yes. Um, I thought that was, that was pretty fun. Um, Why so- is honey here? Oh no. No. It's everyone. Oh, I'm in the, no, it's your brother. Glasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that, that really tickled me. Her trying to gaslight Lewis into saying it was shrimp and not octopus and everything like to, to lean him off the trail. I like all of that. Really, really uh, worked for me. But I, I can see what you're saying. I can see, it, it yeah. is very broad, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, less broad will be uh, Blackish and Lemons. Now, this one, I'm a little bit more on the fence. I, like, I, I thought it was a terrific episode, and certainly its message and its storytelling, I think, was, was really interesting. I think it's amazing. It's terrific that we already have a show trying to, to capture what it felt like for for Hillary supporters and for, you know, for this family, for a black family uh, reacting to uh, Trump's election. And, you know, I know that that's something that felt very different for me than any other political thing I've experienced so far. Um, so I really appreciated that any show was tackling it. I, though, I just can't, oh God, I really wish the monologue hadn't had strange fruit under it. Because it really oh, yeah. distract, like, because I, I just keep comparing it to the monologue we got in Hope, which was mm-hmm. so much more powerful to me, so much more effective. I thought, it felt to me like they didn't trust the words. And so they kept, amp- like, they kept showing the video clips. And then they, they have, of course, the amazing performance of Strange Fruit underneath, um, which is such, you know, like, I feel like. You don't need to, you didn't need to goose this. And if, like, I either want to listen to Strange Fruit and not be distracted by anything else, or I want to listen to what you're saying. It's, I've, I don't know. For me, that, I can't, I, like, I appreciate the, the, the discussion 
even if I don't always agree with what how, what they came up with. Um, but that just stuck in, in my throat a bit watching. It. I don't know. Because everywhere else I've been seeing nothing but praise for this episode. So that's, while I do really respect it and really I thought it was terrific, that I just keep coming back to that that point. How do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about lemons? And what do you think about the, about the the approach on on that big dream monologue? Well, I think that the you describing goosing it and everything I think is as much as like it was probably more a show decision than anything else. Is that it feels very much of a piece with ABC's general. We want to make sure you get this in this particular emotional moment with how they tend to overscore things, especially on the drama side. And I can very much see where you're coming from. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with it at all. Um, in part because I was, I wasn't hearing the music very much. I'll have to admit, like I wasn't hearing the music very much. Uh, so I was more focused on the visuals with Dre's monologue more than anything else mm -hmm. at the end. And for those not watching, um, Dre is, offhandedly accused of not caring about the country because he's not engaging in workplace discussions about politics. He's mostly just sitting there wanting to get his work done. But he just launches into this very powerful, very significant monologue about how much he cares and how much, in particular, like the black community probably cares more about this country than you do, rich white guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... I, I think that that in of itself and the monologue as it progresses with the visuals um, makes up for any goosing for me mm -hmm. um, or any sort of overplaying. But again, I don't remember the music at all. And oh. I just remember like the visuals and Dre's monologue. I don't remember the music at all. So I think maybe just like differences in how we watch stuff, I think is also probably factoring into this as I've admitted that I pay attention to music, but not always. <laughs> and yeah. you're always paying attention to music, which is great and important for both of our discussions. But I just, I think I ended up tuning it out entirely to hear Dre and for the visuals, which I think were just again, blackish doing really good stuff with its, montage and collage type of approach to filling in gaps in a lot of ways and i should be clear i thought that the the delivery right, was I'm, terrific the writing right. was amazing um i think it's an it's a powerful point to make um and they they absolutely make their point as far as i'm concerned um right but yeah see that's just i think that again that goes down to difference in and how different people watch yeah watch tv but no that's that's nina simone singing strange fruit and that like and that's nina simone singing <laughs> strange fruit i mean you, you can't what like, and and the choice to have it be nina simone and not billy holiday not some of these other people who have performed this incredibly right. incredibly powerful song about lynching um that can't help but really, um, really, really uh, affect the way that I view that that scene. Uh, I would be very interested to see how I responded to it with just even like instrumental strange mm -hmm. fruit instead of like vote. Like I, I think that would really have uh, a shift shifted it for me. But yeah, for me, sure. for me, it's like you were able to just watch the scene. But for me, I it was very distracting because um, I I was like. 
you're talking over Nina Simone (laughs) 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 and like you're singing over this monologue (laughs) like like it yeah so so that's that's yeah that's it's very interesting and it's a good reminder of we all are viewing the same art and the same material but we all bring our very individual experience perspective and the way that we just interact with the world to it um yeah i i also really liked (laughs) they poor lucy they brought lucy back oh they brought lucy back i was so happy and then i was really upset (laughs) yeah i like i appreciate that they were trying i don't think they succeeded (laughs) right no i don't think so either i i think that Right. Her moment in which she's like there her one big monologue about like her family and everything. I think the actress delivers it like point on. She is selling. <laughs> she's selling it. It's just it's not deeply convincing from within the context of the episode. I feel like I feel like Charlie not knowing Obama's a Democrat not knowing Obama's a Democrat was more convincing. <laughs> and then wanting to go to the library. <laughs> yeah, to look it up. To, to, really to look it up. Yeah. Well, especially because Lucy's got this history of of being discriminated against uh, in the workplace and then getting her job back through a sexual discrimination lawsuit, you know, like. And she's a Trump voter. Really? Like, and we're not going to mention all the assault allegations while like, I, I don't know, I feel like they. I, I I liked that they wanted to include that perspective and that voice in there. I just, like you said, they were selling. I just wasn't quite buying. Um, yeah. I also really liked the conversation we had with, with Bo and with Zoe. Um, and, uh, of course, more threads of Diane is a sociopath, which is always fun. Um, any other elements you wanted to mention? Oh, the Martin well, Luther King think, speech, of course. Right, is the other thing to mention because we haven't had pops around for a little while. Um which is always a sad thing, as I always enjoy having Pops around. And so Pops explains to Junior that there's a whole other section of the I Have a Dream speech that no one wants you to talk about. And I'm talking about, when I say they, I mean the white man, just in case I'm not being clear. <laughs> I'm not being clear. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. I, I But what I really liked is that the episode sort of ends with Junior feeling a little more radicalized and a little more political. Which I think is a really significant, like, provided it carries through, basically, that it's a really good bit of development for Junior, who, um, some of the, with Zoe aside, because I feel like they've done a really nice job of, like, steadily adding little bits of layers to Zoe, the other kids tend to feel reduced in a lot of ways, so I'm hoping that this continues for Junior in some ways. And to make sure that there's some consistent character development. Like, I don't necessarily need Diane to ever advance beyond being a psychopath that just relishes in torturing Charlie and everyone else around her. But I I would like, like, Junior especially to develop a little bit outside of his, oh, I really like Harry Potter and Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings and his very kind of awkward geekiness. Well, I think it's good, but can also inform this particular aspect of himself that he's coming to realize. And I think that there's really good avenues for storytelling there. Yeah, no, definitely. And and this engagement with um, basically just rights movements yeah. changing with each generation and developing and becoming and like being shaped by the previous, but finding their own perspective and voice, I think was really great. So that conversation with Pops being like, oh, I'm not trying to turn you into 
this yes. idea of what you know a, a civil rights advocate or you know should be um i don't want you to not be you i i, I think that was a really really great way to again another another perspective to include so i, I yeah. Again, we love Blackish, and it's so wonderful. They're kicking the year year off with, like, they're like, yeah, we're here, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. forget us at the end of twenty seven. Like, we were on all the twenty sixteen lists because I hope we're going to be on all the twenty seventeen lists because of lemons. Um, another show though that uh, had a has similar, uh, uh, I would say, uh, political. Do you think this is a political conversation? Just not directly like right. current, it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a- it's a politi- it's a politics and culture conversation more than anything else, which yeah. I think is really significant. Go and, ahead. And that's speechless, um, and H E R hero, which was this week, which was basically um, an episode saying, "Yeah, stop treating uh, like people with disabilities, physical disabilities, mental disabilities, as like magical creatures who are going to show up to like, you know, save." You're like give you a new perspective as an able-bodied person because <laughs> they're just so brave. I thought it was a really fun and 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 it, like the messages are very strong there, but they uh, they're also doing that very much through character and and comedy. So I, I thought it balanced all of that really nicely. Yeah, it does, and I I think that the big thing with it is is that. It, it's a complete stranger doing this, basically using JJ as a prop to win an award so that he can get money to do something else. And for like a grant or a fellowship or some sort of like college tuition sort of scholarship thing. It, it doesn't matter in the long run, but he doesn't even know JJ. He's never talked to JJ, uh, but he's using JJ to do this. And like, it's, it's very much like what you were talking about of we're going to treat these people as courageous as inspiration points but it overshadows the fact that they're people. And I also appreciated the show drawing a very quick line to, oh, it's the magical Negro. And again, like showing how we're using people who are minorities or people who are different from dominant perceptions of media narratives. And I keep moving the mic away from me. And so all of that comes into play here. And I think that's just it makes sure that layers and connections are made while still being very funny about what it's trying to say and do in the episode tag just really drives it home with um, Kenneth just disappearing while the voiceover <laughs> is his speech is still happening. And it's, it's very, very funny and speechless continues to be really sharp show. And even like they're even like this B plot of trying to get a better wheelchair and the navigations of insurance, I think, is is good. And but it's something that stands like in contrast to the uh, VA episode from One Day at a Time, where this is something that's being very much played for laughs, as opposed to demonstrating how weird and bureaucratic the insurance agents insurance is probably for the Demeos. But we're going to do it with equestrian jokes and watching Minnie Driver dance with a horse because she thinks that's what dressage. Is. <laughs> And it's very, very funny. But they they decided to fight their battles with this particular representation issue as opposed to really showing how weird an insurance situation would be for the DeMeos, which I think is probably the right choice because insurance very quickly gets very complicated and probably not very funny. Oh, yeah. No, like, just like her, her 
good mothering her way into magically knowing how to ride a horse was mm-hmm. delightful. And yeah, talking about the magical Negro uh, trope as well. Like such a Garbro has so much fun with that. Yes, and, he does. Oh, it's delightful. Especially, and I think it's very good to point that out on the show where you have one person of color. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's also, you know, get a little, we know that this could be a thing and, you know, yeah. So I think that that's good as well. And, and watch <laughs> Dylan, you know, letting, allowing herself to lose, you know, to try a little to, bit. A, yeah. And she's like, I, and just, I, I love when they're like, no, just do it. And she just runs like, I did not like, I tasted defeat for a moment. I didn't like it. <laughs> it was delightful. Again, they, they, these continue to be some of the more developed kids on, on, on TV. Um, yeah. Cause I think that these three talk about representation of like more layers and more nuance and everything. I think that we've gotten more nuance yeah. with these three characters, these three kids than we've gotten with any of the kids on, on, um, Fresh off the boat, or uh, like maybe Zoe on on Blackish, but certainly as a family, these are much more yeah. like in one season. So they're doing some yeah. some really good writing over there at Speechless. Now we're gonna switch gears a little bit to different type of social consciousness and talk Sweet Vicious, um, which I had gotten behind on, but I caught up to almost. I'm I'm behind on this week's episode, Heartbreaker. So you're gonna talk about that, but um, there have been some developments. This is one of the few shows to not really go on hiatus. Um, yeah. So they took uh, like two weeks off and understandably, but then they came back and just like, okay, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so wh- I guess let's start with Jules confronting her attacker. Cause that what I think they did. They saved it for just the right time. And was it wish fulfillment for the audience? Yeah, probably, but it was real good. Yeah, uh, I was talking with a couple of folks about this last week's episode, and I can't remember the name of it. And I was mentioning that if this episode had aired in 2016, is that I probably would have slotted Sweet Vicious into my top 20 because I think that this episode that they came started the year with was just phenomenal. Uh, it deals with the fallout of uh, Ophelia being spotted in costume and the police putting the camp well the campus police putting the, the campus on lockdown and the surrounding area on lockdown to try and find the uh attacker the vigilante attacker i should specify and so it basically ends up as a weird bottle episode with a bunch of people trapped in the record store for most of the episode but then like nate shows up and like starts ruining everything because he's nate and nate is the goddamn worst um and so, like you said, we get that scene in which uh, Juliet confronts Nate, and it's just, it's so visceral, and it's so powerful, and it leads directly into Heartbreaker, and we see the right play out, and I don't want to spoil, like, your experience in watching Heartbreaker, but the one thing that I really, really love about Heartbreaker, apart, well, there is that one of the things I was kind of concerned with is that there was going to be wiggle room for the show to allow Nate some sense of redemption or some sort of kind of redemption, even if, to me, that that would have gone against the ethos of the show and what the show is doing. It would have also significantly complicated Julia and Ophelia's operation, more so than an accidental murder has not done, but will do, I think, as the series winds down, because I think they only have a few episodes left. Yeah, they're going to 10. Right, so they have like two episodes, I think, left as of this week. 
And, but basically the flashback episode says, no, he's, he's a scumbag in any way, shape and form. And we're not going to let him off the hook at all, period. And there's, there's no, there's very much, he did this, he knew what he was doing and he didn't really care. And I think the fact that the show breaks kind of the uh, flashback format a little bit from Jules' perspective to being able to tell this particular, make sure that we know that Nate knows what he's doing, even though Juliet can't possibly know. So they break the structure a little bit so that we know is really significant and really important. And it's just deeply, deeply powerful. And it's, they make some weird uh song cover choice to play over some events there's there's a really weird and unnecessary cover of girls just want to have fun that i'm not quite sure why it's there huh but that's yeah, a choice that yeah. it's a choice and it's not a it's it's not the best choice but the episode overall is really really good and i cannot wait for you to watch it um how did you feel about like last week's episode overall then oh it was terrific. Fearless is the one from last Fearless, week. Fearless, yes. Um, we also hadn't talked about uh, the All Lies on Me, which is the rushing episode where we got yes, a, which a is glimpse. Phenomenal. It was so good to see Ophelia and her mom interact. was was really terrific. Um, yeah, I thought I thought Fearless was was. I, I did not expect them to go there. I thought that would yeah. be like an end of the season thing. And so yeah. to 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 have the operation potentially blown or at least uh, drawn much closer scrutiny, drawing much closer scrutiny um, in the middle of the season was a surprise. Um, but then all the the interpersonal stuff too, and the uh, yeah, like they also muddle the morality even more by having Ophelia go and attack and frame this other guy who yes. like he's a rapist you know we don't i don't know how much we care but he didn't do this but he did do that and he didn't get in trouble for it you know he didn't have any consequences really for that so like i i think that they handled that interestingly that side aspect of it interestingly um but yeah i'm i didn't realize that this episode was uh this week's episode was a flashback so uh, look forward to it doesn't feel like the right word, you know. Right. But like, but you're I'm sure... you're eager to watch it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, that's I I am very glad to to hear that they're handling they're continuing to handle their subject matter uh, with such a deft hand. So I'm certainly looking forward to to catching up with it. Um, let's move on to our last show of our weekend comedy, and that's Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which had a double episode for us, which is super super fun. Um, which is also the, okay, now that we've dealt with the complete left turn we had to take because we had to write out Santino, let's get back on track, uh, with Josh. Uh, it felt very much like a, uh, oh, let's pretend the beginning of the season never happened. Um, I'm curious if you felt that way, uh, with who is Josh's soup fairy, um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed these episodes. I'm very glad the show is back. Um, that did get me to raise a skeptical eyebrow, though. Right. I, I, I'll i see your skeptical eyebrow and go, guys, uh, this is happening way too fast. Um, yeah, they just, like, Josh and Rebecca are back together. 
and they're lovey-dovey and cute and planning to go to the water park and just all sorts of things. They basically haven't left their cocoon of love. And I, I get that Josh would associate getting soup with being with love, but it's also just like you left because she was like really deeply like involved and wanting things very, very quickly. And now you're wanting things very, very quickly because Brittany snow left you because you turned into a strip mall fashion model in a very funny sequence. I, I and zippers and clothes. And it, <laughs> it was very funny, but it just, it all happened way too fast from a development standpoint with Rebecca and Josh. Uh, I was more willing to accept the speed at which Rebecca and Paula mended their fences, but that's because they're the show's OTP so far as I'm concerned, and Josh can just go sit on the sidelines. And yeah, so I just kind of struggled with that, and then with the introduction of the new boss, and that also happened just kind of randomly, uh, who is now the majority owner of Whitefeather and Associates. And the apparent attraction that Rebecca's experiencing for this guy as implied by the end of uh, uh, this, the second episode from last week. And it's just like, this is, this is all happening really fast. And you're also immediately complicating the Josh thing way too quickly. And you're not letting anything breathe. And I thought that knowing the episode order would allow you guys to plan things a bit better that, I was maybe wrong, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know that they... Do you think... Did they realize that they were going to be losing Santino uh, Fontana when they were I, plotting? I don't, I don't think that they knew when they were plotting. Um, I don't think yeah. that they knew... In, no, like, they... He was, like, going out for other things because the renewal hadn't come soon enough, basically, for him. Yeah. So he was like seeking out of the project. So I think that like maybe like they had like big idea planned and then they like had to adjust things. But I feel like they had enough lead time to they figure should this have out. Been yeah. Because like I think you don't get to get her back with Josh, and also do this. What looks like it'll be a, to the end of the season arc with the right. new villain at work. Like you don't get to do both and have them both work. There's not enough yeah. time. And yeah. um, that is disappointing. Uh, I also don't feel any chemistry between her and the boss, which is, yeah. I know is what they're going for. Um, but they just keep talking about how handsome and gorgeous he is. And I'm just like, I'm not like, I, he's got a symmetrical face. He's like, obviously a very attractive person, but there's no chemistry. Like there's chemistry, insane chemistry with her uh, with with uh with Rachel uh, um, Bloom and with Vincent Rodriguez, like they've yes. got really terrific chemistry. There is none that I'm seeing with her and the right. boss. That's right, not it's very anything. it's very antagonism driven, which is diff which is difficult to land like on any number of levels. And yeah, I, I I'm wondering how much of it is just we're supposed to be reading like a degree of a desire to return to New York in a lot of ways. Cause she, she makes a big deal about coming to West Covina and like reevaluating her life. And I'm wondering how much of this is her wanting to go back to New York in a lot of ways 
uh, how much of that we're supposed to be reading as repressed stuff coming forward. But again, this gets into the fact that the show's treatment of her, her mental health has been spotty at best. Yeah. And I think that's a factor as well in how I'm receiving a lot of this. Well, and based on the next episode, she'll be going back to New York. That's obviously something that they're playing with. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, these are episodes that I liked on their own very much. Just in the context of the larger arc I was having trouble with. And um, I think there were some there were some funny musical numbers. Um, there was nothing for me as catchy as the stuff we were getting earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, hopefully that'll pick back up in these last few. But um, yeah, solid, a little disappointing. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Rebecca dictating an insanely long uh, note to go with soup. I'm here for that. Uh, yeah. Assuming, no, of course I'm not going to leave you here by yourself. Let's go get you a fake ID. As she's, you know, like, or, or just utterly failing at, at, at parenting. Like, yeah, that, <laughs> while, while getting the um, the broad strokes right, I'm here for that. I loved her sending Josh away. Um, that and choosing, choosing Paula um, was so terrific. And I absolutely 100% buy that sw- flipping a switch for Paula and now they're fine. Like yeah. I totally buy that based on the character and motivations and everything, but, um, and their histories. Um, but yeah, I'm having a little more trouble with the, the whole new villain thing. Cause I didn't, I didn't need a villain on the show. Yeah. Rebecca's got no, nothing and- that she's dealing with. She doesn't need a separate villain. Yeah. And it's a villain in a part of the show that isn't like deeply fleshed out or explored. So that also feels really awkward. Because mm-hmm. I was anticipating, like, Brittany Snow being our antagonist going forward. And then, no. And now I'm immediately going, oh, gosh, where's Valencia while all this is going on? Because exactly. I'd like to know how she feels about this. Because yeah. I bet she's not happy, given the Girl Squad stuff. And it's that kind of a thing where I, I feel like there were, like you said, they. I think that they had a number of ideas that they were they had planned. And then everything got shaken up a little bit. And then they didn't plot out properly how to recover from that yeah it's uh but yeah i i'm with rebecca i i am not aware of chicken noodle soup that doesn't have matzo balls in it that just sounds weird <laughs> to me <laughs> i've not had chicken noodle soup with matzo balls i must say so apparently i'm missing it's out. it's just matzo balls that's what matzo ball soup is ah okay well, there we go it's chicken noodle soup with matzo in it that's what that's what that is that's that's the joke okay um but you have you not had matzo ball soup ever i have not oh matzo ball soup is matzo ball i really like matzo Mm -hmm. um which is a weird thing to say as an atheist who comes from a lapsed catholic family Mm -hmm. um but i i really enjoy matzo ball soup so okay because you don't have you don't need crackers it's 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 like we're already there in the soup you're good you don't need crackers (laughs) well clearly i need better soup places by me is what i'm hearing is the main thing i'm I'm taking away from this well uh noel what wins your week in comedy um i'm going to go with a show that we didn't discuss um and i'm going to give it specifically to chidi's choice which is uh the good place episode from last week as we're recording uh this is I loved this episode. It's probably one of my favorite episodes so far of the year, which is a very short window because it's two weeks. Mm-hmm. But it was a Shakespearean comedy on speed in which everyone's trying to figure out who loves everyone and it ends in a marriage. 
and it's deeply, deeply funny. There's some really terrific line readings from a number of actors, and I, I will never get over uh, the guy who plays Jason saying, oh, Ariando, we're really in it now. And <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. And Chidi also going, I'm not going to come back at all. And just his frustration and everything, it's a deeply funny episode. And I, w- I was really glad that that was the episode that The Good Place came back with. And I, I, it's just, it's still winning my week in mm-hmm. uh, comedy. What about you? What won your week in comedy? Oh, God, there's so, because it's like there's a several so much. week thing. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. The Good Place was terrific. I really enjoyed Superstore. Had fun with Bob's Burgers this week as well. Um, okay, for single episode, I would give it to the Always Sunny premiere. Okay. But for everything, I mean, how do I not give it to One Day at a Time, season one? Like, I watched yeah. the whole thing. It was so good. Um, so I'm torn. <laughs> both. Yeah. Both count. Both, both and everything. All the good stuff yeah. that we said. And now I will quickly transition us to music so y'all don't think about that too hard. Please enjoy the song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We'll be right back after this. Who's the new guy? I don't trust him. What's his purpose going to be? Who's this new character? I mean, he's such a character. Such a big persona that's not relatable at all. Do we really need a new guy this far into the season? And by far into the season, I mean it's almost fall. Who's the new guy? I don't trust him. He's suspiciously good-looking in ways that normal people are not. Is this some sort of desperate move to help our ratings? You mean our terrible ratings on LegalScores.com? Yeah. Will he be here forever? Or just for two or three episodes? I mean, Karen's manic episodes. I'm a ticking time bomb. Who's the new guy? I don't trust him. Is he going to be a mainstay of our lives? This week in everything except for comedy um we're going to talk a bit about a series of unfortunate events the first season of which dropped on netflix um we'll hint around the steven bomb that cartoon network put out on their app during our hiatus well it wasn't you know our 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 hiatus in weekly tv talk discussions um that's steven's dream adventures in light distortion gem heist the zoo and that will be all um then i'll talk briefly about bright lights uh, the HBO documentary and Star, which had its pilot, um, and I think it's first three episodes. I'll talk about the first episode. Uh, then we'll talk a little reality with Match Game, and Noel's going to let me in on whatever Terrace House is. So, well, I look forward to that, and we'll round things up with Elementary. Be my guest. So, first up is a series of unfortunate events, and Noel, you have the best description for this, or, or parallel to this, and. That's what got me to watch it because I was not particularly interested. I don't. I've never read the book. I didn't. I looked at the the previews for the movie looked stupid, so I never saw the movie. Um, I wasn't really interested in the show. And then you said those two magic words, and they were Noel. They were uh, Kate. It's 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 kind of like pushing daisies a little bit, <gasps> and it is. That is such a <laughs> terrific parallel. It's like without the 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 same like hopeful, sweet whimsy. And with melancholy yeah. instead. Yes. It, like, without the noir. Like, I guess there's some elements of noir. But, yeah. it's Yeah, but it's not as noir-driven in yeah. any way. Yeah. And it's, it's terrific. I've seen the first five. And oh, wow. You watched yeah, a lot. I want to yeah. see all of it immediately. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know when I will have time because, you know, 
as discussed in our in our open introduction, potential appendicitis. So I, there's been you know it's been a fun week for me. So I haven't uh, had a chance to watch the rest of it. So um, yeah, I but I, I I look forward to to finishing up as soon as I can. I I really really like this. The the kids were terrific. The guests are so good, and the writing like so much to to love about this. Um, did I? It sounds like maybe even I had a stronger reaction than you did. Yeah, well, I only like watched the first episode because I ended up watching a bunch of other stuff to prep for our um, preview, and so, so, so you did the responsible thing. <laughs> I did the re- I, I the responsible thing, air quotes, but I liked it just fine. Um, I I kind of like struggled a little bit with Neil Patrick Harris as Olaf, um, but I think I'm like I've hit like peak in NPH and. I don't know how much of his like general performance type stuff that I'm always responding to these days. And so a lot of that, a lot of my like initial hesitation was about him as Olaf. And, but also like I've seen the movie, but I only vaguely remember like the cast. And so Jim Carrey was still kind of in my brain watching this. So I was just like, well, that was kind of like Carrey's performance a little bit, if I recall correctly. But the key thing that I think that, to mention and to recommend the show is that Barry Sonfeld, who was an executive producer on Pushing Daisies, is uh, working on this version of Unfortunate Events and directed, I'm pretty sure directed at least the first episode. And you see that kind of aesthetic and that kind of a sensibility come through very clearly here. And I think it's a good choice because a lot of a series of Unfortunate Events uh, structure with having Lemony Snicket present and narrating feels very much of a piece of the narrator from Pushing Daisies, but he's much more of a Rod Serling type here, plus investigator as someone who's interested in what's happening. But visually and narratively, it feels very a piece with Pushing Daisies, which is the immediate thing I thought of when I saw like the opening sequence with the train cars and everything, and Patrick Warburton narrating. It just felt very Pushing Daisies to me. And I really liked that aspect of it, so I'm, I'll watch more based on like your response to it. Just that first episode didn't really grab me beyond how much I was just loving Joan Cusack uh, as the judge who lives across the street, and she's phenomenal, but she's Joan Cusack, and she's always phenomenal. <laughs> so I'll, I'll check out some more this week, because I've got a long weekend this weekend and see what's what else is on there uh but yeah i'm glad you really liked him and i think the response to the show has been overwhelmingly positive too yeah we the way that they structured it um where they took uh each of the books and and split them into two episodes so basically Mm -hmm. each of the books as i understand gets about two hours unlike as i understand it the movie took about five books and tried to cram that into two hours right which was a mistake structurally speaking it was it was a lot to do yeah, this I I think this um I mean without having seen the the without having read the books without having seen the film, having just seen the show, the I think this it has the amount of space that it needs here because it lets you yeah. get these little asides, lets you get the like the running, I guess narrative style of Lemony Snicket where we get um these uh these direct to camera a fill in the blank is a definition. Um, which here me here in means like it so it really gives you a sense of the personality very nicely. It lets the the creativity of the 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 
art design, the costume, and all of that really have space so the camera can pan and can show you, show you for example, in episodes uh, three and four, we get there, there's uh, the their Uncle Monty, who is a herpetologist, and he has this insane, like, hedge maze and like with these giant snake uh like guard sort of like guardians sort of at the front like yeah. sculptures um which are terrific and um and super fun it's like like you get to really breathe in the different spaces which i think works really really nicely it also gets you out of it gets you out of each space after two episodes because then you're onto a next book, which means you're onto a different location, which means you're onto new characters for the most part. So like Joan Cusick is terrific. She's only in the first, first two episodes, at least so far. Um, okay. And then you have Asif Manvi as uncle Mon, uh, uncle Monty in the next two. And you get, uh, Alfred Woodard in the next two. Like, so, so like the, the the guest cast are terrific and get these really fun roles to just really dive in with and and play with um which is another connection with pushing daisies as well and again the distinct voice is, is terrific and i'm starting by episode five to get a sense of the way that the kids are being affected by this in a way that feels uh it it feels very organic and also um it could get a lot darker if they want to. Cause like, of course the series of things are happening to them is, you know, like unfortunate things keep happening to them as the title says. Um, so that can't help, but chip away at some of their, um, their optimism and their, you know, go get them, go get them, you know, attitude. Um, so we're starting to get a little chipping of that for one of the characters by episode five. Um, and and I think that's a really interesting way to play it. So so much of it is like two like standalones, but then you're getting this little slight thread of of the lingering impacts with with the kids and the the, the, the as they travel from adventure to adventure. Um, I think that's really really smart, and at least so far is really effective. Um, the because I'm trying to keep things spoiler free. As I understand it, there's a significant change to the books in the show, and I don't know if that's the case because again i haven't read them but based on some light googling and looking up like what happens in the books there's something in the show that's not in the books that would completely reframe part of how i respond to it i think and i think if it is a change from the books i think it's a very very good change a very smart change um, and I can't talk about it. <laughs> it's a spoiler. Maybe. I don't know. Someone who's read the books, let me know <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the show, uh, cause I feel a little crazy and I haven't found any articles talking about this from the TV perspective. So I don't know if I'm just making this up. So, uh, if you've read the books and you've seen the show, please write in and let us know what you think and let me know if I'm crazy. Um, as for Barry Sonnefeld, he directed the first two episodes, and then he okay. directed episode uh, five and six as well. Okay. Um, and they had the same director direct, like, the whole story. So each book or, you know, two-parter is directed by the same director. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's, again, I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm really excited to see the rest of the season and then what comes next they're planning to split it into three seasons on netflix i think that's a smart way to do it because there's 13 books so um that seems like it's a good way to go 
Well, I'm I'm more excited to watch it now after hearing your response to it. So I may make some time after I go to the grocery store to watch it uh, after I get done. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to make a curry. <laughs> well, because like Count Olaf's mansion is a really fun, interesting space yeah. for two episodes. I don't want to watch a whole series set in that because it's too gray and it's too like. So, so like having like the next episode is in this the 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 house of Uncle Monty, and they've got these this lush garden, and you've got there's he's herpetologist, so there's the reptile room. Like, so having like these new very interesting spaces, even like the same characters going through similar travails um, in these different spaces, uh, is it does a lot to to kind of keep things fresh and and having Count Olaf, which I don't think is a spoiler, he gets foiled <laughs> and then he starts just showing up and they're like, guys, it's obviously Count Olaf, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Count Olaf has one eyebrow and this person has no eyebrows. It's like, cause he shaved it. Like, I the the ridiculousness of that I think works really well with the more over the top style that NPH can use at times. So I think mm-hmm. that really play like I think that becomes like it it clicks more in as you get later in the season in this in the sure but anyways i look forward to your thoughts um if you, if you do catch up with more of them uh, but we're running long so i'm gonna move on to our, the next thing which we're gonna talk around because uh, cartoon uh, network released the next steven bomb on the cartoon network app but only for like a day so a lot of y'all will probably not have caught caught it <laughs> if you weren't using your Cartoon Network app on January 2nd, like some of us were because we love Steven Universe. Um, so we don't want to use, we're not going to use any spoilers. Uh, Noel, how did you, what did you think about this bomb and these episodes and how excited should people be or should they temper? I, I really liked it. Uh, I, I think that there's a degree of tempering required just a little bit, but I think that it's a very emotionally driven Stephen Baum, which I I was I was really excited about. Um, it's a it's a connection of episodes. It's not just like we get five kind of random episodes that coalesce at the end, but it's a very it's a very through line sort of uh, Stephen Baum, which I really liked, and I liked how important uh, Greg ended up being to the storyline this time around. As I always want more Greg. And yeah, I, I really, really, I, I really enjoyed it. But I feel like because of the hiatus and because of how I was maybe expecting something else or something, I think I was expecting like significantly more action than what we ended up getting. And instead, we got this very emotionally driven and funny as well type of thing. But there's a lot of uh, big kind of world building happening in this as well so i think it's good and i'm i think what i'm more eager about is the stuff that comes after this and the the potential fallout of this this particular stephen bomb i'm i'm excited about how did you feel about it uh i thought that the second episode was fun but kind of fillery but fun um and i really liked a lot of the first and the third um, the fourth was fun. Yes. And for this is kind of like a two parter, three parter, kind of at the end, sort of. Um, yeah. And uh, I thought that it came together. Uh, there is a song. Yes. And 
I liked it more the second time. I was like, I liked the idea of it and just wasn't like wanted to like jam along really <laughs> the first well, it's time. Not, it's not a jam song either. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so we'll see. I have a feeling that one might grow on me more over time, like the more I listen to it. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Um, but uh, I really, uh, I really liked um, as a whole, I thought it was strong. Maybe not like their best Steven bomb yet, but that's because that bar is really high. Um, yes. I, I thought it was very solid. I look forward to people seeing it so we can talk about it more fully. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting dynamics, yeah. um, implied and like connected to, and I look forward to, yeah, I look forward to what this will lead to when they get back to arc stuff. So this is arc stuff. So who knows if they'll do some standalone stuff next, but yeah. I look forward to, you know, what could be coming next. Okay, so that's enough talking around things. Bright Lights aired on HBO, and this is a documentary that was filmed, um, you know, a few, I want to say like a year or two ago um, about yeah. Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, and it is terrific. I really recommend people go seek it out um, if you're at all curious about either one of them. Um, it was very, um, it was, I was very glad to, to be able to watch it because. Um, uh, I've talked about being surprised how affected I was uh, by Carrie Fisher's death, particularly because, um, of course, Debbie Reynolds, she was, you know, she was up in, in years. It's less surprising when someone who is at a more advanced age passes away. It is more surprising when someone um, who is in their 60s um, all of a sudden, you know, has a, a medical crisis. Um, so... Uh, I was very, I was very glad to to get to a better picture of the two of them, and now as people, very much it is very much like about them as mother and daughter, and there was so much that I could relate to of like looking at mother daughter relationships in like with my mother, but also our extended family and just other mother daughter relationships that I've experienced and like you know seen on the fringes of things, you know, so like just other interactions. Um, I, th I thought it was really, uh, it was really interesting to see these different like parallels that I was drawing between the two women that the documentary is drawing between them um, and the elements that are so specific to, you know, their, their world and the elements that are so universal. Um, I thought it was, it was about 90 minutes, it, which is just, the right time not too long um i felt like i got a, a really good picture of the two of them and it's such a it, it, like you would expect nothing less from something that carrie fisher was involved in it's such a just frank conversation about parts of their experience um and like where they're at now and what different things that shaped them um so it, it was um it was something I was very glad that I set the time aside for. I'm going to be recommending it to my family. I really hope that they make time for it. And I think listeners should as well. If you have HBO, seek it out uh, while it's still available there. Because um, I was very glad that I watched it. Um, I also watched the first episode of Star. I haven't gone back for the next episodes. I don't know if I will make time. I thought it was solid. I thought there were interesting parts of it. I liked certain performances, but I didn't really connect to the music in a strong way. And I just haven't made time to go back and watch more. Uh, I got away from empire pretty, uh, you know, after, after really enjoying 
like being a little behind on on the curve than catching up and really enjoying the end of the first season and parts of the second season. I got, you know, I just started to have see too many cracks in the storytelling for me. Um, Star didn't catch me anywhere near as strongly as the beginning of Empire did. Um, I mentioned that because, of course, they're from the same uh, executive producers. Um, I really like Queen Latifah. I really like, I love that they have uh, trans women characters um, on, on the show. I think that's just like that is almost enough reason for me to watch it just by itself, but they're like side characters, not the main characters. Um, so that's why I haven't gone back to it as much. Uh, Benjamin Bratt shows up um, in a, what looks like it'll be a significant role. Um, and he's fun too. Uh, but yeah, I, right now, I don't know. Solid, interesting. Nice. Uh, I'm glad that they, that these, their performers that I respect, they're getting, uh, you know, roles in this like Queen Latifah. Um, We'll see if I come back. They're they're pushing a, a lot. Lenny Kravitz is in this. He's not really in, in the first episode very much. Uh, they're pushing him a lot. So maybe that's, if you're a big Lenny Kravitz guy, maybe that's, you know, if, if you really enjoy him, um, maybe that's a reason to watch. Um, listeners, if you've seen beyond the first episode and there's like a significant uptick, um, let me know. Um, but yeah, I just didn't really care for, I didn't dislike, but I didn't feel grabbed by the musical numbers and in a show that is going to really feature that. I feel like I need to at least in the moment want to like really, I, I if I don't really engage with that, it's hard for me to you know, want to keep coming back for more. If I like I, as a musician and we've already talked about this with blackish, I shouldn't feel like I kind of want to fast forward through the musical numbers. So um, yeah, they weren't bad. It wasn't a problem. I'm not, I wouldn't recommend anyone away. Um, but yeah, there's certainly not enough to really draw me in and get me to, to watch more for a reason outside of representation. And, um, I don't know. Oh, I should also mention, I watched the entire first season of being Mary Jane. <gasps> Good for you. Yes. I was ha- happy. I watched it. I was surprised how much shipping I found myself doing, uh, team David. Well, team Mary Jane, let's be very, very clear, but also team David, um, yeah, and the fourth season is starting up either this week or or soon to start up. I think it already started up. So I, I think I, it did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm torn on whether I should be getting the DVDs of two and three before I watch four, or if I should just jump to four. Listeners, let me know if you if you're caught up on it. But um, yeah. So right now, uh, I'm more interested in catching up being Mary Jane than I am in in uh getting back to to star so we'll see if that changes in the next couple of weeks um match game came back very fun yes. were you happy were you watching i was uh it's it was kind of a weird comeback um for the show in part because i've raised an eyebrow at one of the uh questions or the fill in the blanks because it was like uh oh right curious george is now by curious george and i think that because he was wearing blank and oh i was so with there with was wayne brady right yes it was wayne brady who was just like this doesn't make any sense you guys don't understand this doesn't have anything to do with cross-dressing or transvestitism yeah so i just wrote thong even though this again doesn't make any sense yeah no didn't he say earring or something (laughs) somebody said earring 
but right. I think someone did say earring, but a lot of people went with like dress and yeah. And I just I, I immediately went well even before we heard answers or anything. I immediately went. This question doesn't make any sense because if someone's by curious, you can't tell from their clothes. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Which, so this yeah. is just really bad, everyone. Um, so that that was like a weird kind of eyebrow raise uh, within the first episode that they came back with. But the second episode was just a collection of very dumb contestants. <laughs> and Krista Ella being really frustrated and really annoyed with having to be on the show. And also, I think a researcher probably got yelled at because Alec Baldwin asked him about Undateable. And Krista Ella just went, that show was canceled. I'm unemployed. And that's why I'm here. And it's just like... Uh, some researcher needs to be yelled at because they asked him a question about a show that has been off the air for like six months or longer, a year almost, I think. But he was just like, I don't care. I'm unemployed. My show's off the air. I don't have to behave. But then it was also, like I said, just dumb contestants. Like, Kate, if you're told that your nanny is a cannibal and they're- Garlic pers- powder, obviously. Right, you don't- <laughs> You don't say I was sprinkling baby powder on him because you can't eat that. You also don't say seasoning powder. Not a thing. Like, yeah, not a thing. I would have accepted the slightly stupider answer of onion powder because that is a thing. But like the correct that answer, is a thing. listen to Constance Zimmer, <laughs> garlic powder. Right. But that that woman was just, I don't think she quite understood the point of the show or the point of the question. Yeah, there were some but she's, curious answers. She still got a batch on ba- baby powder with Titus. And I just went, what? No. <laughs> yep. But it was still really fun to have on because it was just getting really ridiculous and really silly. And that's the main reason I enjoy Match Game is that it gets really ridiculous and really silly and the celebrities get very drunk. And I kept looking at like Constance Zimmer and Rick Fox and going, those guys are really into each other. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Uh, well, I was glad it was back. It was fun. It was a nice, like, kind of break show to have back. And yes. yeah, like, I-, I enjoyed the very distinct awareness of Alec Baldwin and some of the other people of just like some of the stupid answers <laughs> that people yes. were giving. Um, and there were some nice callbacks to that through the through the some of the episodes yeah. that I thought were fun. Um, it worked nicely. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of like, if I can't fall asleep at one in the morning, match game is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, I've, I enjoyed the episodes that, that varied so far. Um, now silly and fun. Is that an accurate description of Terrace house? What is Terrace house? Okay. It's Terrace house. I made the same mistake with Terrace house. Don't worry. Um, it's a Japanese reality show. And I've seen it described as basically what would happen if you took the Great British Baking Show's kind of low-keyness and kind of general humanity and then merged it with the real world is, I think, a fair description insofar as this is a show in which uh, it aired in Japan from like in the mid-aughts, basically, and was pretty popular. And then Netflix has revived it starting in like 2015. So the season I'm watching took place across 2015 and 2016 and so i'm almost done with this current season and a new season starts up like in the next week or so that will it's already started in japan they're like six weeks in but then they're gonna start airing it weekly here in the u.s 
but basically the premise of the show is is like it has three men three women uh between 18 and like their late 20s living together but they get to like keep their jobs and keep their lives so like a guy current guy i'm watching is like an architect student some other guy is like the three-time national championship of tap dancing and within the country he's won the national tap dancing championship three years in a row uh you have students you have people who are aspiring to be models you have uh construction workers i mean but they're all like very pretty people um and the basic premise is like everyone kind of goes there with an expectation of making a love connection among the housemates and it becomes this uh interplay of people trying to make a relationship with someone else in the house and but while still maintaining their regular lives and how that can kind of cause conflict and one of the things that i really like about the show so far is that it's with a glaring exception that's happened very recently is that any conflict that happens on the show is dealt with in a way that is handled through like calm conversation or if a love connection is rejected it's done in a way that by and large uh eschews um drama and it's done in a very polite way let's say and i just really i find the show really compelling to watch i enjoy the interplay between the people living in the house by and large and when drama has actually happened it's been like a real jar and shock to the general format of the show and all of this is to say that i'm missing one of the other big draws of the show which is that in between like act breaks there they cut to a six-person panel that discusses what they just watched and so it's mostly comedians and there's a couple of actors and singers in the mix as well. But they discuss the show kind of in the same way, like watch, watch what happens live or talking dead happens, but they're kind of critical about what's happening on the show, but they're making fun of it. And it's just, it's a way to have like a parasocial response to the show while the episode is airing as opposed to waiting. So it's like if talking dead if you had Chris Hardwick just come on during commercial break and they discussed it for like four minutes, what the, the previous actor, like four or five minutes. And it's a very like interesting format. I really, I'm really compelled by it. And a lot of me wonders if Netflix sort of like was starting to skewer the format a little bit towards like the second half of the season to like ramp up the drama because they wanted to like sell this internationally. And one of the reasons I wonder about that is that this current season that's about to start takes place not in Tokyo, but takes place in Hawaii, but with a still international sort of cast. But I'm wondering if they're trying to do like ramp up the drama a little bit because everything's very polite for like the first 18 weeks. People basically, Kate, people are there to actually make friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's uh, crazy talk. <laughs> It's crazy talk from an American audience standpoint, but this is a show that's actually very popular in Japan. And here's the other like big kind of mind blowing for us anyway, is that they get to watch the episodes as they air, Kate. So they get to see how they're being presented while they're still on the show. Yeah, that's huge. That's it's mind blowing to you and I, but I think it's like they just kind of roll with it. But like, 
one of the one of the housemates like sister pops up every now and then and she's just talking to her sister about the show and like the, the first time she shows up she's just like your posture is really terrible you need to be sitting better on the show and it's just like thanks sis but it's just they're talking about the show amongst themselves sometimes and they're we see them watching it occasionally and it's just very it's very weird from like an American standpoint where they're just closed off from everything as they're doing the show and they don't get to see it until it airs. And this, they're like, they're like a couple of weeks ahead of where the show is. And it's just, it's really interesting. And I really, I'm really, I find it really compelling. And it's been really good to watch like during the break is how I started picking up on it. But I heard about the show through like a McElroy podcast. And I started watching it and it's been really good. It's 30 minute segments. So the episodes are like 30 minutes. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. That's really, it's, it's always fun to look at the way different cultures do reality TV since it's such a Mm -hmm. pervasive entertainment form in, uh, you know, at least cult, you know, the, the, the cultures that, you know, have, have reality tv to see what form it takes sort of like the one of the i forget who who said this but one of the things that best tell you about a culture is their the form of clown that that culture has um i think that's really interesting um so huh i mean i'm intrigued please keep me updated as as yeah i will as your 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 watching develops but um yeah that's that's really interesting because there are these certain elements that we take for granted because they're just so yeah you know they're so uh pervasive in american reality but yeah just like the great british baking show or great british bake-off is so um charming because of its warmth and its empathy and its humanity right it's just another reminder that no that's not that it's not about the whole world that's just about how we make entertainment here yeah um yeah so that's interesting um well our last show for our week in tv this week is elementary and be my guest uh hmm different type of house yeah. guest and yeah. uh, different type of representation. So how did you feel about this one, Noel? Well, Sherlock, I, I've, one of the things I've always like had struggled with with elementary is that there's just too many murders and I understand why. And they've rationalized it within the show, but it just kind of gets repetitive. And I also come from like the Doyle type of tradition. And this episode is actually, I think loosely inspired by a Doyle story, but when they do things outside the norm, I'm excited, but they keep going back to kidnapping plots and they never do kidnapping plots very well. And this, and be my guest is just a very bad kidnapping plot um, in which the victims are both shown and but we never really get we never return to like our main victim that we see in the cold open and we never come back to like her how she's coping with any of this or anything like that there's no real sense of humanity to it and the episode keeps like trying to tell us that this is a big like pressure system because they want to find her before she is killed but the episode is kind of lackadaisical in its pacing and has time for Shinwell to do some more gang informant stuff, which is just feels incredibly inconsequential in general, but feels very inconsequential when we're trying to save an Asian woman from being locked up by a white guy. But we never, the show never really grapples with any of the implications of any of this. 
And it's just not a very good episode. And even like the little twist at the end in which it's revealed that it's a divorced couple, each keeping an Asian woman in their homes, which is, again, deeply weird, but never really interrogated about any of the racial aspects of it or any of the victim aspects of it. And it just, it's not a good episode. And it, they they never really have executed kidnapping episodes very well. And this is another instance of that, at least for me. How did you feel about the episode? I, when you put it, especially like that, it's like, well, it's about a Asian, these Asian women who are being, uh, who've been kidnapped and uh, chained up and subjugated and like assaulted and all these horrible things by this white man. And then your main characters are an Asian woman and a, and a white man. Like, and you don't think that maybe you should comment on some of this or give greater voice to the, you know, the, the, the victim and the survivor. Like, I, yeah, it's a bit of a, a question mark. And then just even on like a structural casting and other level, the, the woman who is, who is the, uh, the, the ex-wife, um, every time she shows up in a thing, that's the character she's been cast to play. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Every oh, time. Every so, time. As soon as she showed up, and then, like, and then, of course, they, it doesn't help they make the show of the, the, the creamer or whatever. I was like, yep, yeah. I know where this is going. And it's exactly where it's going. So, like, you guys can at least telegraph that better. Or how about we give that actress, who's, again, I apologize for name not in front of me, Let's give her more things to do. Let's give her different roles because she's good. She's very yeah. good at this. She can probably do lots of other things too. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, about all I have for elementary. It was no. a very uh, forgettable episode and it didn't need to be if they had made some different decisions. Right. And the thing is like they're kind of, I feel like they were aware of the potential racial aspects because we have a Asian lady detective yeah. When they go outside the precinct. So it's just like they I feel like they were very much aware of it through their casting choices, I think reflect an awareness, but they didn't do anything in the writing aspect to address it in any way, shape, or form. And that's where it falls apart for me. Yeah. I think that's a good call. Um, what wins your week in everything else? In everything else. Um yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think I just, I don't really have a winner for everything else. Like, I mean, Terrace House is something I've just been like consuming, but it's also something I have to watch because it's subtitled. So I'm like really getting into it. So I'll give it to Terrace House. Um, but nothing else is like really like within this other catch-all category has really grabbed me. And I feel like it's cheating to do Steven since we didn't really get to dive into it. But end of the month, maybe we can yeah. like reevaluate. Uh, what about you? Um, well, for me, I'm torn between uh, Bright Lights and Series of Unfortunate Events. Um, mm -hmm. So... Both. Both? Both. I can. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Both. That was my week and everything else. Uh, I mean, I picked something that technically isn't airing right now, so... Eh, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our winter preview. your evening your whole life and your day every single episode is nothing but dismay so look away 
Look away, look away. Three children lose their home and go to live with someone awful. He tries to steal their fortune with a plot that's not quite lawful. It's hard to fathom how the orphans manage to live through it. Or how a decent person like yourself would even want to view it. Just look away, look away. Well, it's time, Noel, for our Witcher TV preview because unlike <laughs> unlike film critics, we don't get to just take a break in January. Um... There's so much TV. Uh, we, we're we going to be looking here at the, the new shows that are starting up um, from January through March. And then we'll might throw a few others out there that are coming a little bit further down the lane that we're excited about uh, as well. But um, let's kick things off with January. So obviously we've already gone through the first couple weeks of January. But the, the new shows that have started up, uh, I already mentioned uh, The Mick on Fox and in the weekend TV. Um, there's ransom on CBS. There is, um, beyond on Freeform. Yeah. There is the wall on NBC, which like I've watched a few episodes of it. Just, you know, insomnia. Yeah. Um, and I just like, they just one, one note for the people at the wall. When Hardwick says drop it, they should actually drop it because then it gives much greater weight to him if it seems like he's in control of that. But that's not what they've been doing. He goes, drop it. And then they wait for dramatic effect for several seconds longer and they thereby undercut their host. It's like, anyways, I have apparently I have strong thoughts on uh, reality shows. Uh, we have Star, which I already mentioned in the week in TV, and that's uh, also on Fox. And uh, then One Day at a Time, which we mentioned in our week in TV, and Emerald City. Uh, that's the first week of January. Now, um, I didn't watch Emerald City. Did you watch Emerald City? No. This is NBC. You, it still feels so wonderful to say that because this is, a as listeners of the Television Snow, this is a very new thing for me to not make sure and make myself watch every new network show this is a very still very new thing for me just in the last couple of months this is a adaptation of the wizard of oz and well let's say loosely inspired by the wizard of oz let's not say an adaptation (laughs) that's true that's true what i want to know if you have any thoughts on this quickly noel is why do people keep making uh, adaptations of the wizard of oz or things that are inspired by it and getting so focused on visuals uh, and making very interesting, pretty visuals, and completely abandoning any sense of character development or writing. Because every review I saw of this said it's really pretty, but this writing's terrible. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, when we think about the 1939 Wizard of Oz, we immediately think about the visuals, we think about the Yellow Brick Road, we think about the forest, we think about Emerald City itself. Uh, and we think about like the poppy field, at least I do. I really like that poppy field visual. It's beautiful. But we think about that film as a deeply visual film and not a very deeply narrative film. Which I is think incorrect. about the songs and I think about the characters. So right. I think about but the I books. Th- I don't think about the visuals. Other than well, the see, but I, I think that when you, when you describe stuff, you either think about the songs, like you said, or you think about the set. The, those gorgeous MGM sets. Uh, that was MGM. I'm almost positive it was MGM. It was MGM or Warner Brothers. I'm pretty sure it was MGM. But you think about those sets, and 
that's I think where people just want to recapture that I that icon iconic nature of it as a, like a selling point. And I think that that's where that comes from. Yeah, they're doing it wrong then cuz like I said, I do not think of the visuals at all other than you know like just the colors uh, and, and like right. I, like that is a big part of it but i always 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 go to the characters first but that's that's just how i i kate people are different than you what <laughs> this is very strange um do you know anything about beyond on on freeform just that it's supposedly supposed to be terrible um well, yeah. like it's supposed to be really bad um freeform's uh launched into original pro new original programming since they rebranded isn't getting the best received though i know quite a few people who actually really like shadow hunters um but i haven't heard really good things about either that or beyond uh, even though freeform really wanted me to watch it and i immediately went no yeah this is about a kid who wakes up from a coma with like mental abilities superpowers basically and yeah yeah i just don't yeah i don't care um, yeah. There have been a lot of those. Um, then Ransom on CBS. Yeah, I know nothing about this, but it's also airing on Saturday, so CBS doesn't care about it. Um, there, so. there is that. How many show? How many new shows air on on Saturdays? This is a co-production, um, and it's it's from uh, Frank Spotnitz, you know, of X Files, and of course, Man of the High Castle. At least the first season of that fame. Um, but yeah, it's about a, a hostage negotiator negotiator who, you know, it's, I think it's a, a procedural, right? I would imagine. And I saw a couple of trailers for it and I thought that they were had were adapting the Mel Gibson ransom movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that's what's happening here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so that's the, that's what those ones have already started. Um, the second week of January had well, the golden globes, which we didn't really talk about other than yeah. uh, like only my takeaway from the golden globes. Meryl Streep. Woo. Okay. Um, but I, again, that will surprise none of our listeners. Um, we had a taboo on FX, which as soon as I found out that, that um, Tom Hardy was playing a biracial man, I stayed away from. Um, do you have uh, do you have any, any info on this one? No. Uh, I didn't feel particularly compelled to watch taboo. Um Tom Hardy's kind of hit or miss for me sometimes, I've learned. So I wasn't particularly interested in this. And then like you, uh, I just immediately went, yeah, no, I'm going to I'm gonna stay over here. Yeah. You guys do you. But I've also told, been told from a couple of folks who watch the show that it's not particularly good. I just don't get, again, why we are still, you know, casting white guys to play not white guys. <laughs> um <laughs> Because they get Emmys, Kate. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, it's it's um, it's about an adventurer who uh, goes. Uh, he get, comes. Who's from the UK? Goes to Africa and and comes back uh, to for revenge. Um, and it's it's set in eighteen fourteen. So it's like a period drama thing um yeah. there are other period dramas that are coming up that i'm i'm more interested in um so we'll see because fx does have a really solid track record with us i would say but it's not we'll right see. and one of the things i think people have been talking about and a uh, friend of the show Corey barker kind of mentioned this is that taboo is also like a co-production type thing so this wasn't like an fx singular project Mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people are just like, oh, well, this saves the mayor of TV, John Landgraf, from making a mistake. 
And I just immediately went, well, but Tyrant was also a thing that existed, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that is definitely still a thing that happened. Um, what about Sneaky Pete, which premiered on Amazon? Uh, this right. So Sneaky Pete is a, I, I think it's fair to call it a passion project of Brian Cranston's. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created the show. Uh, this was originally at CBS for a little while, and then they passed on it, and uh, Cranston bought it, I think, to Amazon. And Amazon picked it up, but there was a big turnover in terms of who was behind the scenes at the show. Uh, because originally it was like David Shore uh, running the show when it was going to be at CBS, but when it shifted to Amazon, uh, Yost, uh, Graham Yost from uh, Justified, bought a bunch of writers with him to start running the show. Uh, so, but and, that and also bought Margo on, Martindale. <laughs> that also bought on Margot Martindale. Um, and I would imagine a slightly different sensibility than what the show was going to have uh, when it was at CBS. But this deals with Giovanni Rubisi, who plays a con man who I think just left prison and deals with uh, some sort of issue with a cop turned gangster who's played by Brian Cranston, who regularly appears in the show, apparently, as the big villain. But there's apparently like a lot of double crossing, a lot of long cons happening. And I'm intrigued enough to watch the show at some point. Um, I just didn't have time to do it this week. But uh, Yost being present alone is enough of a draw for me to go, yeah, I'm going to watch that. What about you? Are you going to, like, check this out soon? I just, I'm not very interested in this subject matter. I feel like we've seen it a bajillion times before. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Yost's involvement is very intriguing. Um, I tend to like Giovanni BC. Um, he, he's not usually enough of a reason for me to seek something out. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's, I think he's a very talented actor. Um, and I just, I'm not, it's not drawing me. It's not pulling me. Like, I feel like it should just based on walls involved. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Plus the, at least with my experiences with the Amazon, like portal and stuff is not great great so they don't make it easy yeah. to watch either which doesn't help they don't yeah their their ui is bad it's not good <laughs> okay well let's move to shows that haven't premiered yet as we record um so starting on january 15th uh this coming sunday we have victoria which is aired in the uk but is airing on pbs um starting on, on this coming sunday we also have uh the young pope on young HBO. pope I don't care about the young Pope. At I don't care about all. young Pope either. Thank God, someone else. Because like I think <laughs> we're the only two. <laughs> yeah, um, I think a lot of my resistance to this show is basically coming from the fact that we've been talking. People have been like making jokes and talking about it for at least three months now, and I'm just like, I don't care. And then I watched the trailer, and I went, I really don't care. Really, really, and yeah. I and. I have to immediately laugh at the fact that we've cast Jude Law as the first American-born pope, to which I immediately go, oh, guys, there's never going to be an American pope. <laughs> the Ever. O- the <laughs> only part of this that I'm all curious about is Diane Keaton. Right, as a nun who plays basketball. Can we just, like, oh, God, because Diane Keaton, I always like Diane Keaton, but I just don't yeah. I don't care about this one. Uh, what yeah. about Victoria, which, is, of course, is the period drama about Queen Victoria? Right. Um, I saw a trailer for this incidentally, and I immediately kind of just scoffed at Jenna Coleman playing Queen Victoria, even if like semi-age appropriate type of thing. I just kind of immediately went, yeah, I, 
I'm not going to watch this. I haven't seen enough of Coleman to really feel like she can handle something like this because I've really just seen her in Doctor Who. And I just, maybe she's good and I'm just not giving her like the benefit of the doubt, but this isn't something I'm like eager to seek out. Uh, how are you, are you going to watch any of this? Well, I'm not eager because just period yeah. dramas aren't really my thing, but mm-hmm. I, actually I think Jenna Coleman's terrific. So I'm, yeah. I actually would be, I'm very curious to see what she'll do with it. Cause I, I think that I've been very impressed with her work on Dr. Who despite some of the material she's been given. So uh, I'm actually very uh, intrigued to see, you know, how she'll do with that. Um, Rufus Sewell is also in there, and uh, I, I I tend to enjoy him as well. But no, yeah. for me, the draw is Jenna Coleman. So that's interesting okay. that, we, that we have that difference in uh, perspective on it. Uh, Wednesday, January 18th, we have Histories 6, which is about um, SEAL Team 6 people uh, starring uh, Walton Goggins. Um, I, like... The fact that this is on History Channel, um, and the fact that Walton Goggins is replacing Joe Manganiello, uh, Manganiello, I should say, um, like that is outweighing the Walton Goggins for me right now. <laughs> like normally, no. I'm like Walton Goggins, amazing, I'm there, uh, but you wanted that's a very different way to go. Yeah, it's a very different way to go, and I'm also not a big military like narrative person. And so the SEAL Team 6 stuff just doesn't really grab me in any way, shape, or form. And I don't have, like, a hang-up about it being on history at all, because history, I think, is, like, figuring out its uh, scripted programming pretty nicely. But I'm not convinced that this is something I really want to watch, Goggins aside. And, I mean, as I learned from bad teachers, Goggins isn't enough for me sometimes. (laughs) Well, what about uh, Frontier, which is going to be on Netflix um, on January 20th? This is Jason Momoa as a Canadian. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if he's Canadian, but it's it's um, it's set in, in in Canada. I think it's the North American fur trade in the 1700s. So it's another period yeah. drama. Like, I'm more interested in this period drama than I am in the previous ones we've mentioned. Yeah, I feel like this is something that could be really interesting. I... Um just for the the fur trade-ness of it all, I feel like it's something that hasn't really been discussed. But I also feel like this could easily end up as something like Hell on Wheels. And (laughs) I I go, well, that was an interesting idea, and now I'm not interested anymore. But thank you for playing. But it's also (laughs) already been renewed for a second season, so that may help them in the long run. But we'll see. I'm... Friday also has the return of Voltron Legendary Defender, so that's what I'm going to be watching next Friday. <laughs> Sooner than anything else is the second season of Voltron. <laughs> um, oh, I also, just like, just quick mention, ABC, why are you doing America's First Family, the Trumps go to Washington? Uh... A- like, seriously, ABC? Moving on. Um, Sunday, the 27th, well, Let's let us not completely skip over the remake of Beaches. Yeah, let's not skip over that, Kate. On Lifetime, <laughs> January twenty first, Saturday, January twenty first. But the twenty second, we have Hunted on CBS. Uh, what can you tell me about Hunted? Well, what I can tell you about Hunted is that this is a reality competition show in which people are on the run from the law, and it's basically how well they can survive without getting caught. I think is the general premise of the show. And I didn't have an opportunity to watch any of this. I, I forgot to look to see if they had posted a screener for it yet. But I'm vaguely intrigued by this idea. 
so we'll see. I may record it and like watch it three weeks from now. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. How are you feeling about this? I mean, I don't tend to make time for a lot of reality stuff. Um, I am yeah. intrigued, though, by you know the the subject matter, the the structure mm-hmm. and the framing of it. That's also that's always very interesting to me, um, especially when you look at cultural uh, situations and um, political situations and the narratives that become more engaging and interesting to a public at various points in our history are certainly something to keep an eye out for and to engage with. Um, but more on that later. We'll see if it takes off or if it's immediately forgotten. Um, BET is doing a miniseries about New Edition um, that's starting on January 24th. Um, but the big premiere, I think, that week will be Riverdale on the CW, which is January 26th. Uh, have yeah. you had a chance to watch any of these screeners? Right. I've watched the first two. Um, Caitlin over at TV Guide has watched the first four, which is what CW made available. I tried watching the third one but it hadn't been like color corrected or anything and it's pretty important for the show's aesthetic for it to be color corrected so i'm waiting to watch the third episode when it airs uh before i launch into it how are you feeling about riverdale and what is your like sense of what this show is based on like what you've heard and if you've watched like any of the promote promos for it or trailers for it I've watched no promos. I okay. do not care. I found okay. out, I when I found out that a plot point starting off was one of the kids having an affair with their I think their teacher, their music teacher yes. over the yes. summer. I was like, and I'm out. Okay. Um so this is from Greg Vellante um and I think the best way to describe this is and I I should preface all this by saying that I really like the first two episodes a great deal is that this is sort of like if Everwood and Pretty Little Liars had a child, it would pretty much be Riverdale uh, with, like, dashes and very clear um, um, influences from Twin Peaks. It's, it's It's a very different sort of take on Archie Jughead and Betty and Veronica and the whole gang. Uh... I really like the show's aesthetic. I really like some of the performances, uh, particularly from the woman who's playing Veronica, I think is really great. And I'm eager to see what the show does with this whole sort of seedy underbelly small town stuff, if they can do something different with it through the teen soap opera. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by it based on the first two episodes. Oh, but this is also something I feel like could go horribly, horribly wrong very, very quickly. And apparently the third episode is not very good. But I, I, I am going to watch more of this just based on the first two episodes. And so I'll keep you in the loop. But the plot point about Archie having a summer fling with his hot music teacher that they try to make not hot with really oversized mousy glasses and it doesn't work because that woman's way too pretty because it's the um, cw yeah yeah it's the cw so we'll we'll see how it goes um but i'm intrigued enough to keep up with it for a little while anyway so i'll keep you in the loop skeptical eyebrow sir skeptical eyebrow but right. you, i will <laughs> wait to hear what you have to say um on amazon we have uh, on january 27th z the beginning of everything which is christina ricci starring as zelda fitzgerald uh any any curiosity here 
not particularly. Um, I've never been like super fascinated by Zelda Fitzgerald. Um, so, but I like Christina Ricci to check it out. But the other thing that premieres on Amazon that week is something I'm probably going to be much more interested in watching, which is Rania, the robber's daughter, which is an animated series from studio Ghibli. And I'm interested in seeing what that has in store for us. Fair enough. Uh, we should yeah. also mention adventure time is doing a mini series starting on January 30th called islands. I did not know about this. So yeah. yay. There's also a comic book tie-in that's already out. It came out in like, uh, I want to say November or December. I haven't picked it up yet, but this is a reminder that I need to do that before the 30th. But yeah, that's that's going to be exciting. I think a lot of it's going to deal with a lot of the stuff that we were getting hinted at in Reboot and Preboot. Yeah. Are you interested in the Nelson Mandela uh, a miniseries that BET is doing um, starring Lawrence Fishburne? It's Madiba, I want to say, is how it's pronounced. Um, that's That's starting on February 1st. I hadn't even heard of this until just now. Um, I am intrigued by that. I'm going to have to see if my cable package even includes BET now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't get Sundance, so I'm I'm curious if BET is part of that. But I'm, I'll check that out. Yeah. I mean, what about you? Are you going to take a stab at that? It's Lawrence Fishburne. I'm so there right. for that. I mean, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Um, February 2nd, uh, we get starting to get more network premieres. We've got Powerless on uh on nbc um we've got superior donuts and training day on cbs uh powerless i talked about last uh, year because i saw it at comic-con and i was underwhelmed though they have a talented cast um i i wasn't laughing enough as far as i'm concerned but comedy pilots are hard so maybe that'll get better i don't know do you have any this is the one about it's set in a world where there are superheroes um and vanessa hudgens is an insurance adjuster who does insurance for superhero related things um, are you are you interested in this one? Yeah, I'm super interested in it. Um, less interested after you kind of told me it wasn't kind of good. <laughs> but NBC didn't make any screeners for their mid-season premieres available yet. Um, so I haven't had a chance to watch this either. So uh, I'm sort of like, oh, I'll wait until Thursday. <laughs> but we'll see is how I'm feeling about that. Okay, what, um, ab- what about Superior Donuts and Training Day? Right, so CBS like made a plethora of their shows available uh, for their mid-season. So I've watched the first episode of Superior Donuts, which is the only episode that they made available. Uh, this deals with Judd Hirsch um, as a owner of a donut shop in a about-to-be-gentrified part of Chicago. And it's... It has a very good cast, I think, including like Jermaine Fowler and Katie Seagal. Uh, but it's 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 a very good group of actors in a show that I think wants to deal with social relevancy. And the producers have talked about how they want to talk about gentrification. They want to talk about gun control and how these things play out in this particular neighborhood. But I'm not convinced based on the pilot that they're equipped to do that in a nuanced, interesting way, let alone a way that feels particularly funny. Uh, because they're interested... And their answer to gentrification, maybe forcing out the donut shop, was to, well, maybe if you start offering more select coffees, and I just went, so playing into the gentrification is the way to survive the gentrification. That's that's not how you're, that's, that's a weird message for you guys to do for this show, but okay. 
and it, it's weird a little bit. So I'm not convinced that the show has its politics figured out. But Judd Hirsch is really good. But Judd Hirsch would have to be like dead to not be very good in something. He's always uh, very good. Yeah, right. He's always very good. So I'm not confident about Superior Donuts. Um, Training Day is um, that's what we needed a remake of Training Day. But this time you got the, the bad cops, the white guy. But it's not a it's not a, it's not a remake. It takes place fifteen years after the movie, but with the same premise. And um, but yeah, like you said, Bill Paxton plays the cop that's too extreme, and uh, we have Justin Cornwell playing the rookie who is drafted to kind of keep an eye on him, but maybe we'll fall into darkness. Um, Paxton's having a really fun time playing morally ambiguous, but also kind of a nice cop because it's broadcast TV, so he can't be too horrible. Uh, but it also has like Julie Benz, Katrina Law, which uh, explains why um, she's not going to be on Arrow later this season, and they had to drag Talia Al Ghul into things, apparently. <laughs> uh, so it has a really nice cast, but the first episode is fine in terms of what this is it's not for me it's nothing i'm going to be like circling back to uh because i'm not really interested in watching cop procedural ambiguity play out um in any of this so yeah I'm, yeah if i'm gonna I, watch that i'll watch j-lo in yeah. shades of blue right and so i'm I, I, on the other hand i'm just really glad katrina law is gonna have like CBS police procedural money for a little while. Yep, Julie Benz too. That. Yeah, and Julie Benz too. So I'm really glad that they're going to have like network money for a while, but I, I wish they were getting it on a different show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think of uh, cultural social rele- rele- uh, relevance when I think of CBS, I'll be honest. So yeah. not super surprised about those two. Um, moving on to fe- uh, February 3rd, which is a Friday, we've got on Netflix uh, Santa Clarita Diet, which um, is Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant as uh, suburban realtors um, that uh, <laughs> experience change that, quote, sends their lives down a road of death and destruction, but in a good way. And apparently there's, like, a, there's like a horror element to this that is, right. like, spoiler alert, so we don't talk about that too much. But, like, I don't know. But I... the show kind of gave itself away a little bit because there was a promo for it during the Golden Globes with Drew Barrymore talking about the diet. Mm. And it's just a big bowl of uh, meat or brains. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so... I'm excited about Oliphant in another comedy, mm-hmm. and so I'm 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 looking forward to this. Are you looking forward to this at all, or does like the horror premise kind of make you go an eyebrow raise? Well, it's just no. It I mean comedy, yes. I enjoy both Drew Barrymore and uh, Timothy Oliphant. I think they're both very very good at comedy. Um, I just I we are, we have I Zombie, you know? Yeah. But you don't, you don't, you like iZombie, but not enough to like love iZombie, which is, I think my New Year's resolution is to, is to make you love iZombie. Yeah, you can keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would just like right now, I'm not hurting for comedies. I guess sure. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot to choose from, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm not turned off by it. You know, I'm, you know, but I'm not also that drawn to it either, which is sort of the going to be a trend here. 
because uh, yeah. we have on February 5th on Fox 24 Legacy. Now, am I glad that Corey Hawkins has his own like 24 reboot? Yes. Do I enjoy 24 in general when I can, you know, ignore all the torture gets stuff done? Um, yes, uh, but I'm less able to do that as time goes on. And uh, I don't know that we need enough more 24. So I'm once again, I'm on the fence. Right. And I, I, I watched the premiere um, and I should preface this by saying, I don't think I've ever actually finished a complete episode of 24. Oh, I've wow. seen like, epi- I've seen like parts of episodes across its run, but I've never finished an episode of 24, I think. And so this was my first time actually really like engaging an episode of 24. And, but I know all like the tropes and everything. So like I was texting you while I was watching it and I just went, Kate, in the first episode, there's already like really intense whispering happening in the CTU. And now people are like doing things behind other people's back in the CTU. And, and, and now this guy got tased and they're throwing him in a closet and things are happening in the CTU, Kate. And there may be a mole. And it's it's there's 24, Kate. Mole. There's always a mole. And there's always terrorists wanting to destroy the country. And this one guy can stop them. And Corey Hawkins is very, very good in it. He seems really comfortable in the role. But I was just deeply, deeply bored. Uh, the cast also includes, like, Jimmy Smits and Teddy Sears and Miranda Otto. So it's got a really solid cast. But... I am not at all interested in watching this continue to play out. And I think that watching the episode in the split screen and the gimmick of the real time stuff has never appealed to me. And lo and behold, like actually watching it, I just went, I don't understand what the appeal of the real time thing is, guys. I don't quite get it. There's no, there's no countdown right now. I'm not understanding what's happening. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. You guys do you. I'm going to go stand over here now. I have a very important question for you. Yeah. Is the phone ring still? Uh, I didn't hear that, but I also wasn't like listening for it. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's you'll, the ring in CTU. So like, you'll have to watch to find out. Kate. Apparently I will. <laughs> well, what about another one that I look forward to your thoughts on? Because I know what they are. Um, we talked about this one ahead of time, listeners. Uh, February 6th, Monday, uh, on, on Fox, we have APB. Tell us about APB, Noel. Sure. So this is from a person of interest producer, and it's crime procedural that, um, that Metacritic says crosses between person of interest and Chicago PD, but this is factually just incorrect. Um, it stars Justin Kirk, who I re- who I generally really like. Uh, he plays a Chicago uh, tech billionaire whose best friend gets murdered in a convenience store in an area of Chicago. He has to be put on hold while he's on 911. The cops don't show up soon enough, and then the cops don't make any leads in his dead friend's case. So he does what any tech billionaire does, and he basically buys a police di- district for himself and starts to outfit the police district with new cars and apps. And some drones and some new guns. And, and it's a critique uniforms. of the totalitarian state, yes? Oh, God, no. It's all about how technology <laughs> makes everything better. And how and... we should just trust rich dudes to, like, run everything. Because, you know. Right. It's very much like what I kind of talked about in the fall preview with Pure Genius. But taken to a really gross level in that it's a police precinct that hasn't been 
it hasn't been as it hasn't been privatized but this guy's funding everything and it's kind of separate from the other i think 21 other chicago precincts and it's not good kate there's no satire the correction on all the technology isn't this technology is bad and the corporate the corporate nature of this is bad but you're missing good old-fashioned police work and footwork and talking to informants you can't always rely on the data rich tech billionaire guy you have to go out and talk to people and it's just like oh that's that's the thing is we're okay with a privatized police force as long as they do good old-fashioned police work right okay that's the important message there yeah that's that's what i i should be taking away from this um but the cast is also really good it has natalie martinez and ernie hudson and the guy who plays Fusco is the desk sergeant in the premiere, at least, mm-hmm. which I feel like is just a person of interest nod. I hope that we're not letting Fusco just be the desk sergeant because that's a waste of Fusco's talents. <laughs> um, but it's not good. I was, I, I was, I got very antsy watching this, much more so than I got with Pure Genius. This was, this was RoboCop without the satire, and that was, that was really disturbing. Yep. See my earlier comment, re what, uh, how how art responds to public right. uh, po- politics and culture. Anyways, um, uh, let's move on to Tuesday, February seventh. We've got uh, one that I'm actually pretty excited for on Comedy Central: Detroiters, which mm-hmm. is uh, Sam Richardson, who of course is terrific on Veep as Richard, um, and uh, he's starring with uh, Tim Robinson, who's one of the uh, writer on SNL. Uh, as a pair of uh, their their two ad men from Detroit, who but they do commercials for local stores, um, so that just like the idea of that I think is terrific. Of it's Mad Men, but for local stores, <laughs> local commercials, I think that there's a lot of potential there. Um, and knowing Comedy Central, I'm based on their track record with their other uh, other comedies they should have terrific guests and I really look forward to seeing what Sam Richardson can do with a character different hopefully than than Richard on Veep he's he's been one of the highlights of Veep which is that's hard to be a highlight on Veep because everybody's amazing (laughs) Uh, have you heard of this one are you excited about this one at all I am now Uh, I hadn't heard about this but I'm really interested to see what this involves and how this plays out so I'm I'm excited about this actually now that you've talked about a little bit I'm I'm interested in this yeah um same day we're gonna have over on Bravo another original drama now because they of course they have the girlfriend's guy to divorce um which is back I think is that I think it's back right now uh, for another season, uh, but they're also going to have a, another original series, uh, Imposters, which is um, it's about a, a con artist um, who um, I think uh, like tends to be married to someone and to con them. Um, it's a funny lobby. Lone Star, maybe. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, no. I don't really. It's have... listed as a drama, so it's not funny. I don't have we'll many see. thoughts on that one. Are you yeah. are you curious about that one at all? I'm a little curious, but we'll. Uh, I may check it out. Like I, I really liked like Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. I didn't finish the second season because I got kind of like a little worn out on the show. Uh, but I think Bravo's scripted programming development seems pretty on point for at least what their brand is. So I'll probably check out Imposters just to see how it's Bravo developing. Yeah. Um, the next one is that we have here is February eighth, Wednesday, February eighth on FX, and it's one that. I want to be very excited about 
and everything about it has me very excited except for the magical person with uh with disabilities which is what this is ah uh so this is legion which is in the the x-men world set in the x-men world and it's from uh noah hawley of course who created the the fargo remake or, or whatever you want to call it the tv show um and it stars uh, dan stevens as uh a as the the son of charles xavier um i'm not sure if he knows he is but we know he is and he's but he's got schizophrenia which he developed at a young age and he's been in and out of mental hospitals ever since and i wonder if he's gonna have special abilities because you know he does if you have if you have schizophrenia or other or other uh you know mental uh struggles or difficult you know challenges like um just different brain chemistry that leads you to have troubles uh you clearly you're you super it's a superpower you should just stop taking those meds and just go like fight crime yeah hmm. how does this not bother anyone you know well i i i think a lot of it also has to do with the fact at least with how it's presented is that a lot of his Mental. I've watched the first episode. Uh, FX has made the first two available, but I didn't. I I, I needed a break from the show immediately. Um, anyone who's been listening to us at least since I started knows how I feel about Fargo, and I went in with an arched eyebrow. But anyway, so <laughs> a lot of this has to do with the fact that um, his powers seem like kind of tied to it, or like his powers have led to the development of this, like. He has telekinetic and telepathic abilities. And so there's a question about whether or not the extent of his abilities have led to his uh, schizophrenic nature and that sort of thing. So there's a question mark around that. Um, So, yeah, I watched the first episode. Um, To do another, like, shorthand type of thing, the first episode very much feels like if, Wes Anderson and Stanley Kubrick or Darren Aronofsky pick one um, sort of like decided to make a TV show about mutants. And this was the result. Um, Aesthetically speaking, uh, the show jumps around narratively and it does a lot to try to convey uh, Dan Stevens's character's uh, perception of things. And there's it, a lot of it feels very tailored uh, and, I, I didn't like it very much, and a lot of me kind of wanted to because I really like this cast. Also included in the cast, in addition to Dan Stevens, is Aubrey Plaza, uh, Gene Smart, uh, Rachel Keller, and a couple of other folks. And uh, Hamish Linklater actually shows up in the premiere and is fantastic, as will surprise no one. But it's just, I can't get past the Noah Haley-ness of it all. Like, I can just see how deeply constructed and how very much he wants the show to feel very different as a superhero show and aesthetically it does and narratively it does. And I just kind of struggle with it. And I think one of the things that I ended up coming to, and I was reading about the show a little bit is that he, he being Haley has cited Hannibal as an, as an, as a influence and an inspiration for a lot of what the show's doing. And you and I are both, great fans of Hannibal. And I think one of the things I realized while I was watching it after I read that little snippet about him seeing Hannibal as an inspiration was that 
what the show, what Hannibal is to like this kind of baroqueness that you and I and Sean talked about extensively sometimes when we were doing um, sometimes <laughs> sometimes on uh, the Hannibal podcast is that what this is what Hannibal was for like this kind of baroqueness and this kind of operatic purpleness is that Legion is trying to do for like pop art and comic book and postmodernism in a lot of ways. And that can get really aggressive and very pretentious very, very quickly uh, because there's, there's, a, there's not a clear limit to where you're going too far. Whereas with Hannibal's approach, you, can, you know where that line is before you're doing something else. Where with Legion, because it's like playful and postmodern, there's not really a line. The lines just keep getting erased and then redrawn. And I think that's where the show can run into problems. But at only eight episodes, the the window for problems is very narrow, but the window for success is also very, very narrow. And I'm getting all of this based on the first episode. And I think that speaks to how well-constructed it is and how well-conceived it is, but it also speaks to my tastes and my opinion of a lot of what's happening in the show that I'm, I'm not convinced that this is something good yet basically hmm. yeah uh as you as listeners might have been able to tell from my thoughts even just based on the premise i'm conflicted so we'll see yeah. i'm definitely gonna check it yeah. out i'm i'm really eager for you to, i'm really eager for like everyone else to watch it like i was texting my friend danielle a little bit while i was watching it as well and i'm really eager for both both of you to watch it and to get your opinions on it because i'm not sure if i'm exactly right about it either yet so yeah. interesting um are you excited at all for david brent life on the road which is coming uh to netflix on february 10th because i am not i don't need to see david brent ever again and i certainly don't need to see him trying to like break into the music biz uh because the way that they left that character in the christmas special was like perfect why why is david brent life on the road on netflix I don't know. And this is where I just say I've never really, I've never gotten through the British office. Like I've tried multiple times and I've never, I think I've gotten like through three or four, three episodes, I think. Okay. And so I didn't even A, know this was happening and B, I'm not even compelled to watch it. Um, mainly because I just never found Brent a character that I want to spend time with. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay, we have on February 15th, which is a Wednesday, uh, CBS's new show Doubt, which is uh, from some of the Grey's Anatomy writers, and it's Catherine Heigl uh, as a, a defense attorney who, of course, gets involved with one of her clients, like you do, you know. Right. Um, well, when that client is played by Stephen Pasquale, well, I mean... Question mark. Is he going to be singing? Because yeah. if he's singing, then, of course, I understand. Ah, uh, there is no singing happening, at least in the premiere. Oh, come on. Well, the reason Sorry. to watch this, as far as I'm concerned, is because Laverne Cox is going to be on it. Yeah. And she's going to well, be, you know, again, playing a transgender character on CBS, which seems like that's a significant thing. It is. And I, I, I watched the premiere of this, and it's, it's, it's a very weird show, insofar as it feels tonally kind of messy, in that Heigl's character and... Pasquale's character kind of feel like they're on different shows 
than everyone else. And the cast is like really good. Aside from like Laverne Cox, there's Dulé Hill from Psych. There's uh, Drummer Walker from Don't Trust the Big Apartment 23. And then there's Elliot Gould. And I feel like a lot of people got blackmailed to be on this show or because <laughs> it's not bad. It's it's solid procedural legal storytelling stuff with a very, very good cast of people. But the main overarching storyline of Heigl and Pasquale is I don't care. And they feel they're very like dramatic and serious about their romance, their romance that can't happen because maybe you killed your girlfriend 24 years ago, but I'm so drawn to you. I know I'm drawn to you too. And it, it just feels really weird that while this is happening, there's like regular type of case stuff and everyone else is kind of like in a, in a toned down Ally McBeal kind of tone, basically. And it's just weird, and I don't know if that's, like, just the fact that Doubt went through a significant overhaul before it became, before Heigl came on board and before Pasquale came on board, because it was originally going to be, I want to say it was Katie Strickland and Teddy Sears who were going to be the leads, and then the show got, like, really overhauled, um, because I think this was in the 15... 2015-2016 pilot cycle and then it's been overhauled for this this year so i don't know if it was just the fact that the show's gone through a lot but it's totally kind of a little bit messy and the two ostensible leads are kind of a different show but the supporting cast is great Mm, okay so should i watch it uh i don't think you should watch the premiere um i'll (laughs) Uh, the, the CBS made like a couple more episodes available. So if you're interested in it, I'll watch those and let you know if some of the later episodes kind of figure themselves out. I can just wait for the, uh, like, uh, tune, tune in episode six. See, see if it's figured itself out by then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a plan. Um, February 18th, which is Saturday, Planet Earth 2. Yeah. Which I'm sure will look amazing. And, yeah. you know, I, I, enough said. Planet Earth. If you yeah. like Planet Earth, you'll probably care. Like Planet Earth too. Um, February nineteenth, we have a, a handful of shows. Basically, HBO has an, has new shows, um, and CBS is coming out with the Good Fight. So we've got Big Little Lies, which is a mini series uh, from uh, from David E. Kelly uh, of a book of the same name, and it's got all star cast. Um, I don't know this book. I don't really care about. Like, I haven't been super impressed with mini series adaptations of of books on HBO yeah. in quite a while. Yeah, and HBO's like track record. I mean, again, as I say almost every time we discuss HBO in any capacity is that a lot of HBO's programming just doesn't click with me. Um maybe I'm just too boring. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. But this cast is really nice, but I'm I I don't know this book. I feel like I've heard about this book, but I don't I can't remember anything that I've heard about it. Yeah, it's got uh, Nicole Kidman, it's got Reese Witherspoon, it's got uh, Laura Dern, who, of course, lo- gotta love Laura, Laura Dern. Um, right. Yeah, Adam Scott is in there, too. Like, So there's there's a lot of people we really appreciate and respect in the cast, but I don't know. We'll wait to to decide if we're going to check in on that when we get a little further into February. Um, we also have the same day, uh, the new Pete Holmes show, Crashing. Um, it's about a stand-up comic uh, who, who finds out that his wife has been cheating on him, so he's got to kind of reevaluate and figure some some more stuff out um yeah i mean again pete holmes i think is a really funny guy uh so i'm looking forward to him getting his own show and seeing you know what he does with that it's been i'm trying to think of 
the, I mean, HBO for the most part has done really well with these half hour shows um, that are driven by a creative force who also stars. So mm -hmm. no reason to think this won't be the same. Yeah, I guess um, I kind of read that description and go, oh, I'm, I'm so sad for that guy. But um, don't want to watch eh. the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll I'll let you tell me. Okay, fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Fair enough. Uh, the Good Fight, uh, which is the new CBS streaming show, uh, which I was not very interested in, but then I saw the trailer and I'm, oh god, they they got me back in. They I got care. you, yeah. They got yeah. me. They yeah. get you. Well, I mean, I was already going to watch it anyway. Yeah. Um, no, I was but... too. Yeah, I, let's not lie to ourselves. We were going to watch this anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but The Good Fight is the Good Wife spinoff with Christine Baranski, uh, Koosh Jumbo, and Sarah Steele coming back from the, sh uh, the first show. It takes place like a year or so after uh, The Good Wife. And Diane's about to retire, but then she loses all her retirement money. She gets and made off. She, right, she has to <clears throat> like find a new firm to go to, and her niece, who's uncle uh, her father is the one who like lost everything etc cetera, etc cetera, and this made off type stuff um the kings talked about it a little bit at uh, tcas they're just like we get to say f-bombs in the trailer it has diane saying fuck and it's just like oh well i'm here for that <laughs> um but yeah we'll we'll see i'm i'm excited about the show um and there's a lesbian couple at the center of it which is, I think, going to be really interesting and hopefully can be handled well. Uh, but yeah, the first episode of this will air on, a, a edited first episode of this will air on CBS, and then the new episodes will appear weekly on CBS All Access, which is their streaming service. Okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how smooth that edit goes. But they probably are producing that first episode with that in mind, so... Yeah, I, w I would have to think so, but I think there's going to be a difference in run times between like the first episode that airs and the first episode that, that streams, mm -hmm. basically. So I think it's going to be like a five, like five to ten minutes longer. Okay. The streaming version of it, but I, d I don't, I can't imagine that there's going to be a huge difference between the two either. But it's also airing at eight p.m. on the CBS, which means mm. that they're going to have to like tone it down a little bit more because good wife normally aired at like nine or 10. So yeah. depending on the year, that's interesting. Um, okay. February 23rd, which is a Thursday. We've got the blacklist spinoff on NBC. <laughs> that's a thing that we have now. Um, and I feel like, I don't feel, I feel like enough said there. Uh, we've got sun records, which is a, uh, series, a part series on based on the million dollar quartet, the, the, the musical, um, that's going to be on country music television. Um, <laughs> Netflix is doing Ultimate Be Beastmaster, <laughs> which is uh, on uh, February 20th, uh, 24th. Are you going to be watching reality competition series Ultimate Beastmaster, Noel? Uh, I'm not particularly interested in a strength endurance competition. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pass on this, but thanks. Yeah, I'm also probably going to pass on uh, February 27th, which is Monday, uh, Comedy Central, The High Court. Uh, Doug Benson is a judge. Uh, yeah, but it's Judge Judy, but high, basically. Um, not my thing, but I know there are some people out there who I'm sure would be very excited about it. 
Yeah, probably. It's not me, though. No, not me either. Um, uh, same day, we have uh, Taken on NBC. Yes, that Taken. They're making it as a TV show. Yeah, it's um, a prequel, Kate. It's exciting. Sure. It's not exciting. It's it's got it's got Smash Williams. So there's that at least. Guys, Charles is going to be on there. Yeah. Okay. Um, ABC uh, has When We Rise, which is a miniseries about the the start of the gay rights movement, um, and it's gonna have it has an interesting cast, some some really talented people, um, and uh, it's directed the um, the first episode is directed by Gus Van Sant. And it's from um, the screenwriter of of Milk, so that could be promising, right? And ABC's doing. I'm going to say ABC's doing something a little different, but it's actually something very old in that they're airing the miniseries night back to back to back to back to back. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a four part. It's two two hours, four parts, and that's. I mean, that's old school miniseries airing as opposed to like. Here is your first installment. Wait a week for the next one. Um, so I'm I'm intrigued by their scheduling for it. I think that's really cool. Uh, so I, I'm interested in this. Like like we said, like the cast is like really solid. Like it's got Guy Pierce, it's got Mary Louise Parker, Michael K. Williams, and then like you've got some guest stars, including like um, David Hyde Pierce, Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how this goes. Um, yeah, I think I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that wraps up February for me. Any yeah. other February things to mention or should we move on to March? We should move on to March with, um, National Treasure and Hulu. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, this is, doesn't uh, sound particularly good. Well, this is Robbie Coltrane, who's very yeah. good. But he yes, says he is. he's a, a comedian who gets accused of sexual abuse. I wonder what American comedian that could be based upon. Um, right. But this is already aired in the the UK and apparently uh, was you know well well received there. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. That's and again that's on Hulu. Um, March fifth we have Chicago Justice on NBC because we need more. There's not enough. That's the fourth one. Yeah, not enough in Chicago. Any, are you are you how, how do you feel about uh about the Chicago series? When's the last time you watched one? Uh I haven't watched any since like Chicago Fire like first started. So um I I'm mostly just intrigued by the fact that NBC and CW have like warring shared universe shows. And I, I'm always intrigued when like we get really hyped up about the CW doing a crossover. And but we don't talk about like Chicago's like massive crossovers that they sometimes do either. Yeah, well, no. you know, one yeah. has superheroes. Sure, that's why. one does have superheroes. That's true. <laughs> and I am happy that Joel Carter is getting some some network money. So yeah, because we love trying. And so is Philip Winchester from Strike Back as a lawyer. He looks very bored even in the promo. <laughs> that's like, why do you cast Philip Winchester as like? I mean, like, yeah, he can do that, but I mean, anyways. Ah. Um, much more excited about Feud on FX, Betty and Joan, because this just feels like if I was going to pick material for Ryan Murphy, yeah, this is like, uh, yes, obviously. This is uh, Jessica Lange playing Joan Crawford, Susan Sarandon playing Betty Davis. I mean, like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, and the rest of the cast we should mention is just phenomenal. Like, You've got Stanley Tucci, and if you've got Stanley Tucci in your project, 
I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'm going to watch that because I love Stanley Tucci, but it's also got Judy Davis, who's great. Kieran uh, and Shipka? Come on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So the entire cast is just really good, but I'm really excited to watch Lang and uh, Sarandon in these, play these very iconic women. Uh, same to we have what more time travel on Fox <laughs> we have making history and on ABC we have time after time that's right there weren't enough this past fall we needed more yes so, we did have you we seen need, either of these I have not I I didn't make I didn't make time to check out any of ABC stuff which is a lot of their midseason stuff is in March and and I didn't have time to check out making history either um I'm not particularly interested in making history, uh, but I am excited about Time After Time because I, I love that movie a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, the movie is phenomenal. Have you seen the Time After Time I movie? have not, though I, I oh, would, I'm really sure good. I would enjoy it, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. Malcolm McDowell and... Uh, is it Malcolm McDowell? Yeah, that's pretty sure. right, yeah. yeah. It's Malcolm McDowell and uh, Christopher Reeve, and it's really... Or am I th- I Sarandon. Maybe Chris Sarandon? Yeah, I, 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 I'm worried I may be actually thinking of another another movie. Mary Steenburgen, right? Travel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited about Time After Time. I'm not exactly excited about the cast of Very Pretty Men. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, like, I like Freddie Stroma from Unreal. Um, and Josh Bauman from Revenge is kind of a weird choice for Jack the Ripper, uh, I guess. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. But I, I'm I'm going to watch it because I like Time After Time a lot. So so here's the thing about Making History, though. Making yeah. History was created by one of the Grinder writers and it's yeah. produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And it stars Adam Pally and Leighton Meester. So I feel like well, there's also a comedian, uh, yes, Lester, that I'm not familiar with. But yeah. I feel like that could, like, just from those creative people, it's worth checking out. Yeah, but I, I mean, I checked out Last Man on Earth because of Lord and Miller, and, and I, I could never really get into the show. I tried really hard multiple times. Okay, okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Um, March 7th, we have Trial and Error on NBC. Um, this is a, uh, a big city lawyer uh, heads to a small town to, to, to defend, uh, do, do the defense for a poetry professor. Um, who is accused of murdering his wife. Uh, John Lithgow is the pr- professor. So uh, Nicholas uh, D'Agosto, De- De- um, I'm sure I butchered that. What do I know him from? He plays Dent in Gotham. That's who. I see him in other things too, but that's what people know him from. Next up, uh, we have, there will, we've been talking about reality. So on March 9th on Fox, we have Kicking and Screaming, which is a survival uh, competition. Um, yeah, let's see. It says it, the description says it's it, it's outdoorsy people uh, pa- with uh, quote pampered partners, really like so, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm just speaking sending out to the universe Fox let's not be gendered with that right come on we can do it well not only that but also it's just like isn't this just when you give celebrities to bear grills <laughs> yeah I feel like that's we already have that but i don't yeah. yeah not really looking forward to that one um also not super excited for on march 17th netflix's uh, uh iron fist sorry netflix's marvel's iron fist <laughs> yeah i just like they, they have those pictures uh that they're putting out for the defenders and it's just like three people i care about even despite daredevil season two and white dude 
Yeah. I, I'm not super excited about Iron Fist either. Um, I may watch a couple episodes, but I was very much planning on just skipping this and waiting for the Defenders to start this summer. And then they're just like, well, but the Iron Fist is the guy who really knows what's going on. And I just went, oh, no, you're going to make me watch this just so that you can seed plant for the Defenders. Ah, yep. Okay. well, maybe I'll just read some reviews and call it a day and we'll see. But I'm not I have not been super excited about this at all. So I'm not super excited for Fox trying to do American crime. I mean, like maybe they'll surprise me, but. I don't know. This is shot, Shots Fired, March 22nd, which is Wednesday. Uh, they have a really good cast. I mean, Helen Hunt and Richard Dreyfuss and, and you know plenty of other people. But I just, I don't, like, why would you try to do your own American crime? American crime is also all, already amazing. It got renewed. Yeah. And, and that's a really good show. So I don't, maybe, the, do you think they can recapture? I, I have doubts about that. Um, but I guess we can find out and see like, I didn't have time to watch this one. And I think like the first episode's available, but I didn't have time to watch it. And so I'll check it out and let you know uh, before then so that I can tell you to do something else that Wednesday. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm not super excited about it. And so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Our last, uh, last shows we have here are Wednesday, uh, March 29th. There's uh, Harlots, which is going to be on Hulu, which is uh, a period piece um, about uh, a brothel owner in London. Um, and uh, so, eh, again, I'm not super excited about period pieces in general. Um, there's also Imaginary Mary on ABC, which is uh, Jenna Elfman, um, who is it's a vehicle for her. Um... Oh, and her... She meets a love interest, and she's very excited about it. But then, at the same time, her imaginary friend, which is Rachel Dratch, uh, at least the voice of Rachel Dratch, starts, like, kind of popping up back in in her life. And I think it's going to be, like, CGI and and live action next to each other. Um, Yeah. I'm not super excited but it's coming from um the the goldbergs creator i know there's a lot of people out there who who love the goldbergs and uh think i should be watching it um so are you excited about this one i'm interested in it i'll say like i i enjoy jenna elfman a good deal and i like this i kind of like this idea i'm wondering like i'm really interested like we've been talking about trends in society but like between like this and like representations of mental health and how they're being represented and how they're being presented, I think is interested in how much of this is just like kind of shtick with uh, the imaginary friend, or if we're like going to dig in through comedy, why her imaginary friend's back and what that means for her and that kind of a thing. But uh, we will have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, any other shows that are coming up in the, the you know, the next few months or, or, you know, shortly after that you're looking forward to? Well, I'm not looking forward to, like, The Prison Break, which comes back on, like, April 4th. Um, but I didn't really watch Prison Break when it was on either. Um, but I will hype up, because I watched the first episode, um, I will hype up uh, that drops on Hulu on April 26th is their adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, the first episode's really, really good, Kate. Um, and have you have you read the book? Yes, I have. Okay, all right. So 
it's, it feels they make... uncomfortably prescient. <laughs> yeah, no, the book is uncomfortably prescient still, uh, even though it was written in, I want to say the mid to late 80s, I feel mm-hmm. like. Uh, but it's really, really the they make a couple of added, they make a couple of tweaks um, that I think are fine. Um, but this has Elizabeth Moss as uh, heading up the cast along with Joseph Fiennes, Samira Wiley, um, Alexis Bledel, who was a surprise casting announcement that came out uh, last week, and uh, Yvonne Strahovski uh, from Chuck. Um, it's a really, really good cast, even if I feel like Fiennes is too young. Yeah. Uh, for that character. Uh, and so is Stravosky for that matter. Like both of those characters, I think, are, were cast too young. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, the show itself, though, within the first episode is really, really good. Moss is incredible, which is not going to surprise anyone. And like I kind of told you, some of the shots, I went, oh my God, Elizabeth Moss is growing into being Gillian Anderson. And I'm very excited about <laughs> that. That is awesome. Um, yeah, no, some of the shots look like Gillian Anderson a little bit that I was initially confused for a second. But it, I'm really excited to see the next nine episodes of this show. And like you said, it's incredibly prescient and uh, still deeply, regrettably relevant. Um, and I'm really excited for us to talk about it in April. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that one too. And we will definitely be talking about listeners um, if there are any shows that you guys are looking forward to out there that we didn't mention um, or ones that we did that, you know, maybe you think we were a little too dismissive, let us know. And we'll we'll put those on our calendar to, to, to seek out when they when they do premiere. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this up at the Televerse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can leave us a rating review in iTunes, where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We also have a, uh, we're also up in Stitcher, and we can, you can rate and review us there. If you do, please let us know. And if it's in <laughs> iTunes, let us know what country you're going to do it in, so that way we don't feel strange when we don't, or get confused or think that iTunes ate your review unless it did, which is very possible. That's certainly happened to us in the past. Um, you can also of course uh, like the page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. And we're both on Twitter. I'm at the televerse and Noel, you are at Noel RK. And once again, if you're going to be in DC, uh, hit me up, let me know and uh, hope to see you out there. Cause I am very excited. So uh, thank you, Noel. Uh, and again, next week, it'll be a shorter show, listeners. We promise. Shorter show next week. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.